Urban Yogi, Episode 8, featuring Charles Wilkinson. I'm Will Blunderfield. I'm a psychology major, kundalini yoga teacher, spin instructor, recording artist, and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher in training. Join me in this free-flowing conversation with mentors and experts on such diverse topics as queer theory, holistic well-being, and music. Charles Wilkinson is a Canadian writer and director of a large body of both documentary and dramatic film in a career that spans over 30 years. His documentary films include Down Here, 2008, Peace Out, 2012, Oil Sands Karaoke, 2013, and Haida Gwaii, On the Edge of the World, in 2015. His films have played around the world and have received numerous national and international awards. His dramatic work includes six feature films and numerous TV long-form and episodic credits like The Highlander and Road to Avonlea, and even the last season of Beachcombers. Feature documentary Haida Gwaii on the Edge of the World won the top award at Hot Docs in May of 2015. The film went on to become the second highest earning Canadian film per screen in winter of 2015 and 16. It's a film where audiences are finding some solutions to our global sustainability dilemma. Charles's most recent film is the feature documentary Vancouver, No Fixed Address, a film about crazy real estate and how we can gain some measure of control over the places we live. Charles is currently working with his partner, Tina Schleschler, on a new feature documentary that he can't tell me about because then he would have to kill me. Charles lives with his family on an inlet near Vancouver. I hope you enjoy this interview with Charles Wilkinson. Look, we were child entertainers, so we had a television show and stuff. Yeah, I recently found that out about you. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, but no, Lauren uh, sung with this occasionally, but he didn't really, he didn't like it. He's much more um, uh, visual kind of a guy. He, nice. he, he's a mechanical engineer. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. And yeah. How, older, younger? Younger, he's the youngest, yeah. Okay, cool. So you're the eldest. No, I'm the middle. You're the middle? I'm the bad boy, yeah. So wait a sec, so Will, <laughs> Will is the eldest. Though. Yeah, he is. Oh my God. It's funny you thought I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh, cool. Um, yeah, I met, um, I met Charles's brother, Will, the other day, and Will is also an amazing artist, a book writer, yep. an author. Um, and then he was saying that as, as kids, you guys actually would tour around almost like the Osmonds. Kind of, yeah. And, and was it mostly country western or pop? Well, it started out as country and western because it's Calgary and our show, our yeah. TV show had a, a country flair very much. So we had to wear cowboy hats and all that stuff. And we, yeah. But then as we got older and, you know, we started to get into the 60s, yeah. um, the Beatles came along and Will and I, of course, were completely into that. Mm -hmm. So we started, um, you know, rebelling and we started, you know, crossing over. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, I mean, the, the fans loved it, but the, yeah. the, the guys who ran the show, they weren't too keen on it. So, so, yeah, so we dropped that after a while, the TV, and, and we, we were in a band. and we threw So you guys did TV appearances as well? Yeah, every week we were on TV, yeah. What? Yeah. And the show went crazy. It went all over the prairies and came out here to Vancouver. And, nice. And we got better ratings than Hockey Night in Canada. What? Yeah, we did. Oh, my God. No, it was an institution on That's the prairies. That's amazing. And yeah. what was the name of the show? Uh, Calgary Safety Roundup. Oh, nice. Yeah, you and can... what was the you, meaning of that? 
Uh, well, what it was was the police found as there are more and more cars on the road that there was more and more kids getting killed by cars yeah. outside of schools. So they decided to have, um, uh, they formed these school patrol things where the nice. kids would wear a bandolier and they'd hold up a stop sign, Sweet. get kids across the street safely and so on. And so they wanted to give the kids a perk so that they'd be interested in joining the, the patrol. So mm -hmm. they had a variety show down at one of the theaters. So you see you know, kids sing and then get to watch a movie. Nice. Well, the talent level that they attracted to the show was quite high. Yeah. And so they said, well, let's, let's put it on the radio. And then right away, they were looking for content for TV. Right. And so somebody said, hey, this would be a great TV show because it's cute kids, right? Yeah. And so um, we recorded, and it was super popular, and, and uh, it, it turned into quite a thing. What were some of the most, the funnest songs that you guys sang, the ones that like really stuck? Well, I know if Will was here, he'd say that the funnest was, you know, the Beatles songs, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and, and oh, nice. She you Loves You. Oh, ones. you bet, yeah. What and, about Everly Brothers? Oh, we sang the Everly Brothers all yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah, that was our, our kind of I idea. I could totally see you guys singing that. Yeah, our harmonies, that was the thing. I mean, we were kids. We sang there before mm. our voices changed, but our harmonies were always really, really uh, close, mm -hmm. and uh, that was sort of what we were known for. Mm. Uh, we were little Billy and Charlie. How many years apart are you guys? A uh, year, year and a half. Well, so you're Cute. Half yeah. And can we, like, can listeners find this footage anywhere? I was looking yeah. on your website. I couldn't find it. Oh, really? Yeah, no, you just uh, Google Calgary Safety Roundup. Calgary and, Safety and, Roundup. and I made a short documentary about it years okay. ago. And it's fun. It's actually really fun. So listeners can go into Google Calgary Safety Roundup. Exactly. And it'll pop up if you search movies. There it is. Sweet. I'm going to do that this afternoon. I do. It's fun, actually. It'll make you smile. Yeah. It's a good story. I mean, one of our people, uh, one of our regulars on the show was Dixie Lee Stone. And when she left the group, um, she recorded One Tin Soldier. That was her song. Oh, my God. I love that song. Listen, children, to a story that, that was written long ago. Yeah, Dixie was awesome. Wow. Now, did she cover that, or was that... No, that's hers. Part? That's hers. Yeah, yeah, her and the original cast. That was Dixie. I had no idea. I yeah. actually sang that at a house party last week. No way. It's I a great song. Sing a little, Go ahead and hit your neighbor. Yeah, yeah. So, so beautiful. Anything with, like, canon and D as the chord progression tends to be really gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's gorgeous. I learned that through... Actually, the sales of my um, my album, I wrote this song called Long Time Sun, and it's, it's the chord progression of Canon and D, One, mm -hmm. in, one Ten Soldier. Mm -hmm. And um, it's by far more successful really? than anything else that I've written. That oddly doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And um, yeah, I wanted to ask you sort of about the balance between making something commercially successful, but also staying true to your vision as an artist. Um, you've done a lot of mainstream Disney films in your past, and even the documentaries have done so well commercially. How do you navigate that? That's, that's kind of the key question, isn't it? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in the 60s. That, that was my time as a, as a young teenager. Mm. And everything shifted then. You know, suddenly it wasn't just about making a living. It was about doing something that meant something, something right. that was important. We really felt that we were going to change the world. And so I, I, that was the, the bath that I, I, I swam in as a kid, and it's never gone away. I think... Most of us who came through that time have never lost sight of that mm. what you do should have some overall social value. Right. And yet here I am singing to really working class people, singing them cowboy love songs, and realizing that those are my people. Those are the people that I want to entertain. Right. That's my group. Is I mean, just, just people, right? Um, I guess you could say general audience. And so, yeah. so if I make something, if I do a movie that is... That, that's really out there in terms of, of expressing the values that I have, they're not going to watch it, mm. right? But if I do something that's like um, just junk, they will watch it, but it's not good for them. 
Mm. Right. So to me, it, it's always been kind of like being a chef or a cook. Like you try and make food that people will like, but that, that that's also nutritious. I like that analogy. But you know, you don't beat them over the head with, "Hey, this is broccoli. Eat it. It's good for you." Right. Right. But you you try and and, and do that as opposed to like just making junk food, which people it's empty calories, and yeah. people are going to go for it. But and I, I mean, I have some some examples movie wise mm -hmm. that if you look at a picture like. You look at a film like, um, I, many of your listeners will have seen um, Hell or High Water. That was a popular oh, okay. American uh, dramatic film. Mm -hmm. It's a film about a, two guys who went you know, in South Texas, uh, Pyramid in Texas, going on a bank robbing spree mm. to make enough money to buy their house back from the bank because the bank screwed them out of it because their mom got sick. Mm -hmm. So it's about social commentary. It's about how hard it is when you're a working class person in the United States mm -hmm. and you have medical problems, you are screwed. Right. right, and so, but it's it's an action movie. It's a bank robber movie, and you know, Jeff Bridges is in it. It's an amazing yeah. piece of, of of film. That that's that to me is is a perfect example of cinema at work, and that's what I love. Mm -hmm. That's what I've always tried to do is is mm -hmm. stuff that's entertaining, but that's got a very strong social core. As opposed to, say, for example, the work of somebody like Peter Berg. Mm -hmm. He made Battleship and and uh, one of the marathon movies in Boston, and and. Uh, um, he made Friday Night Lights, which was very good, but he didn't. Oh, yeah. He didn't develop that project. It just came to him. But his movies tend to be jingoistic, superficial. What's jingoistic? Means like um, patriotic, like you know, oh, make okay. America great again. Right. It's usually there's a military component, and it's about how we're number one and American troops, and we just got to get out there and kick some America. ass. All right. that, right? right? And they don't drill down. They tend to not drill down into the human condition. And I don't don't think Peter's ever done anything that had even the remotest nod towards social commentary or social thought or, or the human condition. And then there are movies in the middle of those two. So I would regard that as something I have no interest in doing. Okay? Yeah. But then you, you'll see movies in the middle of that where frequently now with big sort of tentpole pictures, like big action movies, where they'll nod in the direction of social commentary, like the bad guy is polluting the world or something, so they have to get him. And then they do this action movie because he's a polluter and it's bad, but it's so superficial that it doesn't really tell you anything about the complexity of what it is to be a human being. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the hell or high water, these characters were bank robbers and they actually ended up killing a few people, mm -hmm. but they didn't want to. And, and it mm -hmm. was it was really deeply complex and it made you walk away thinking, what would I do to protect my family? Would mm -hmm. I kill somebody to protect my family? You know, and it leaves you uneasy. Whereas, you know, uh, the Avengers or all these superhero movies, um, which I consider to be fascist entertainment, frankly, mm -hmm. um, they, they leave you with nothing. It's what just, do you mean by fascist entertainment? Well, you think of what fascism is. It's usually uh, one strong man, usually in a uniform, a very tight-fitting one, yeah. Yeah, standing up and defying all the laws and all the, the, the status quo mm -hmm. and blazing his own trail and, and, and administering his, own, his or her own brand of justice. Right. And that's not the way a civilized society works. Our civil society, which has elevated people like you and I to positions where we can sit here and have this conversation free from fear that somebody's going to break in and shoot us, right. what's, what's created that situation is people working together cooperatively, right. you know, obeying the rule of law and discussing things in a, in a collaborative way. We, we haven't grown up in a system where there's one strong leader who just blazes his own trail. That's right. fascism. Right, I hear you. It's almost like the Kali... In yoga, they say that Kali Yuga was all about that sort of one one-upmanship, yeah. proving yourself, yeah. wearing the tights, and yeah. I'm so great, <laughs> and I'm so macho. 
Um, whereas now we're in the, uh, the age of Aquarius, which is about togetherness and working together and knowledge is circular rather than hierarchical. And we're all in this together. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, like I'm seeing these new Avenger movies where they're getting all the superheroes to come together, to band together. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're trying to sort of I think so. Mirror that a bit. Sure, I, I, I think so. And I, obviously, you know, like the new X Men movies, where it used to just be Wolverine, yep. but now they're coming together. Uh, that's a really but, interesting observation, and I hope that that's a that's a symbol Wonder of Woman. that. Yeah, yeah. Wonder Woman, I thought was pretty interesting. She's hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. That too. <laughs> yeah. She's gorgeous. Yeah, she is very pretty. Um, yeah. So for your work, you've you've gone from doing sort of more mainstream like Disney stuff and 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 TV shows to now focusing on um, cultural and social issues that are pertinent. Um, what, like, tell me more about that transition. What was that like for you? Well, I, I want to say that, that um, when I first started in filmmaking business, I was very, very lucky. My first film, while I was still in film school, was financed, and it was commercial film, and it won awards, and wow. I, I got to graduate as a commercial director, which was pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, but, you know, it maybe happened a bit quick for me, because looking back, I think maybe I didn't have as much respect for the old guys in the business as mm -hmm. I could have, mm -hmm. and ultimately what I came to realize is that anybody who's managed to, to work in this business for their whole life mm -hmm. and not have to be a barista or a cab driver, I don't care what they did. They can do porn. Yeah, just to be able to stay in this business is a miracle because it's so competitive and it's so hard to entertain people. It's really, really hard. And so I've been fortunate that I've been able to, all my adult life, work in this, in this business. Yeah, that's but, amazing. Yeah, but you know, you get on these trajectories and, and as a younger person, when somebody offers you a lot of money, a studio in Hollywood offers you a lot of money and all these toys, I mean, Jesus, I've got cranes and helicopters and just whatever you want, right? Yeah. And all these long trains of white vehicles with willing workers in them would say, yes, boss, whatever you say. Mm -hmm. It kind of is really difficult to, to pull your head out of that and think, what is it that I'm doing? Does this have any value so, other than entertaining people? Mm -hmm. you know? Which there is value oh, in that. totally. But, but again, again, going back to there's entertainment, like It's a Wonderful Life is a great piece of entertainment, but it's also one of the most wholesome things you'll ever watch. And when you watch It's mm -hmm. a Wonderful Life, you come away from it wanting to be better wanting to do something good for the people around you. Whereas when you watch, you know, Superman, you go, hey, I want to kick some ass. Right. You know, and I, I take the form. So, yeah, maybe you were feeling like on the spectrum, the stuff that you were doing wasn't at that place on the spectrum that you wanted, which was more like social commentary. Yep, and, yep. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, and I found that. I found that the, the work that I was getting, you know, was often it was about a guy with a gun and a girl with big tits and a drug deal going down. And there's only so many times you can tell that story. I mean, I've personally never been in a gun battle. What the hell do I have to say about that, right? The girl, maybe, okay? But the drug deal, okay, maybe that too. <laughs> but, but, you know, it just, it just seems so empty, right? Yeah. And, and to transition into documentary, which is actually where I started out, I wanted mm -hmm. to be a documentary filmmaker to start with, and I made documentaries to begin with. My first film was a documentary, and it did cool. well. What was um, the name of that film? Tears, the story of the penitentiary. It's a National Film Board film. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's... it's Tears? Tears, T-I-E-I-R-R. Yes, tears, nice. like the tears in a prison. Can people see that online, like on PBS or something? Or on the National Film Board, nfb.org or whatever their, their website is. Yeah, you awesome. can. And it's quite beautiful. I was really proud of that. Um, and, and so I, I just really realized that probably, and, and I want to make a, a disclaimer here, that everybody who goes into working in the movies really, really believes that they're going to make big studio films. Almost everybody. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so I, I really wanted to be, like Francis Coppola was my hero. Mm. I, I wanted to be like Francis Coppola or the early work of Ridley Scott, uh, you know, Truffaut, some mm. of the, the, the um, uh, European filmmakers. I, I really idolized those guys and I really wanted to be like that. And mm. it took me a long time to realize that I, I don't have that gene. I'm just mm. not. I'm just not smart enough. I'm. I'm not, and that's okay. I think you seem it's, pretty smart to me. No, thank you. But <laughs> but no, no. Those guys are geniuses. Like Francis Coppola is the Leonardo da Vinci of of the cinema. He's 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 a genius. Um, uh, Martin Scorsese. He he's a genius, mm. right? I'm not. You know, I'm the average sort of semi bright guy who who's pretty good at telling stories. So for me to realize that, to realize that I was never going to get my hands on material like American Beauty which I consider to be a masterpiece, mm. right? That, that's never going to be me. What I'm going to get is I'm going to get shows like I've done big action movies with Michael Bean, the Terminator guy, because mm. I'm really good at that. I can you know, make shit blow up and get people to all you know, be really enthusiastic and great performances. But I mean, the material, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. And mm. you know, mm. for every good script I, I was offered, there were like 100, like just, Jesus, why are we doing this? You know. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, it got to the point where I just... I'd look off in the middle of the night. We'd be out on set shooting. We had this huge, elaborate setup, and I'd look off and I'd see there's you know a bayou or a swamp or you know I shot all around the world, and there's something really interesting happening over there. There's a little kid playing in the mud with a scorpion. That's interesting. Mm. And all this bullshit with these tired old TV actors and too much makeup, and there's kvetching about how they can't pay for their house or some they can't get a good table at a restaurant. Like I don't care. I just, I just, I don't care. You felt the call. Oh, very much so. And so, like, I, I started doing documentary, um, and it wasn't easy. I mean, we had to green light. When I say we, I mean my unbelievably cool partner, Tina, and I. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to green light our first Hi, Tina, show. if you're listening to this. <laughs> you know, we had to green light our own shows, which means saying, we're going to make this movie without any outside money, and then oh. see if we can sell it. Wow. Yeah, like, Peace Out was like that. Really? We didn't have any backing. And then once we made it, people went, wow, this is really good. And it went to festivals and it won awards. And then networks started paying for and it. And any of these films that you're mentioning, people can watch online. Like I, one of my, I was in the elevator and this guy was like, oh, are you playing piano in this documentary about the Vancouver housing crisis? I was watching it online on PBS. Hmm. Like people can see your oh, yeah. stuff. It's totally pretty yeah. much free now. Yep. Some of it public. is. Yeah. Yeah. Most of it is. I mean, some of it you have to pay for. How to Gwai you can get on iTunes and How to Gwai on the Edge of the World. I don't think that it's still playing on Knowledge Network, but it might. I mean, if you just go to my website, charleswilkinson.com, there's buttons for most of these shows. And okay, just click sweet. on it, and Please. it'll take you there. Perfect. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd rather you pay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, no, it's not about that. I mean, I, I yeah. need to make a living. You need to make a living, exactly. right? And And it's tough in the arts to make a living, but... Yeah. Um, but None. people can could download your movies on iTunes. Well, they can watch them. They can't download. They can stream them. They can stream them, and yep. you pay a certain fee. Yep. Yeah, cool. that's not much. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting how the industry, both your industry and, and mine, has gone from, like, you know, these, these huge sales to um, really now it's all about streaming. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, it really is. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, if you like. The, yeah, I'd the, love to hear your because I, for the, that. Yeah, for those of, of the folks listening to us that, that are interested in film, um, what I've really, really realized over the course of a 40-year, you know, really more like a 50-year um, uh, career, is that Canadian drama is... Uh, the odds for making money at, in Vegas are better. The odds for making money buying lottery tickets are better. Seriously, like, name... Name five wow. Canadian movies that you've seen. Other than mine, okay? Other than yours, yeah. yeah. What was the one about the Fiddler? I don't know. 
Yeah, there you go. The best yeah. Dan Fiddler. I love that movie. Yeah. But that was, you know, 40 years ago. What was the one, The Pianist? That's not Canadian. That's not Canadian. No. Oh. Yeah, it's hard to, yeah. Yeah. So, but whereas I can name off the top of my head 20 great Canadian documentaries. Mm-hmm. So, so that's something mm. that, that, that you can make money doing that. You can make a living. And when I say make money, it sounds like, oh gosh, I'm just in it for the money. Nobody gets rich doing this stuff. I haven't certainly. I mean, I've made more money and less money, but I've supported a family. I put three kids through, uni- four kids through university, yeah. uh, you know, like that. But, um, excuse me. What I found the, the the key for us, because we finally found a business model that works, is that after all this time, I don't go out to the marketplace and raise a million, two, three million dollars to make a Canadian movie. I don't do that anymore because I know that that movie is going to gross four hundred thousand dollars. That's not a business model. That's charity. That's going to government agencies and saying, finance this because it's culturally viable. And that's fine for people who do that. That's like because some of it is very much culturally the Bible. Mm-hmm. Bible, but I I want to be able to work. I don't want to have to stand in line for four years to make one movie. I love making movies. I don't like, you know, filling out applications. I can feel your passion for that. Like, right. When we did the the short film for my song, yeah. it was like I was so inspired by how quickly we got it done. Yep. And it wasn't that we rushed it. Not it was that we were so passionate about it, and you were so passionate about it. Um, and that has actually really inspired me for the things I'm doing now mm. to really just put my whole focus and passion into the moment and into being the artist that I truly was born to be. And then you modeling that for me. That's great. Um, has been really inspiring and, and helpful. So I want to oh, thank cool. you for that. Oh, no. I really feel your passion for what you do. That's great that you feel that. Thank you right? for saying those things. Uh, I think, again, that what the key for us has been is to find a way of making movies that a lot of people will want to come and see that don't cost very much money. Mm. And by not costing very much money, I don't mean cutting corners. Mm -hmm. Like, in a way, I have more luxury on the movies that I make today for a quarter of a million dollars, or maybe double that, whatever, in that neighborhood, Mm -hmm. than I did when I used to work for $5 million. Really? I have more luxury because even on, like $5 million is still nothing in in movie terms, but, but when you've got a budget like that, you have maybe a 30-day schedule, mm-hmm. and it's chop, 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 chop. You, your script is cut up into pieces, and you're here today, you're there this afternoon, da-da-da-da-da. You don't wait for the light. Maybe a little bit. Once in a while, you can wait for it, but mostly not. You're, you're busy. you gotta, yeah. you got to do this thing. Whereas for us, because now Tina and I, over the course of a long career, have learned how to shoot. We shoot pretty well, mm-hmm. and people like, like our cinematography. I understand sound. I've worked as a sound man. I've worked as an editor. I've worked in every single one of the disciplines that there are. I can weld my own camera mounts. Okay, awesome. like I do all that stuff. And you said you did actually designed that skateboard mount. That yep. was your first thing. So you're also an innovator. Oh yeah, totally. I, and that I love that. I mean, I love that part of the work. So given that, Tina and I basically are often the whole crew. And so what that what that translates into is time. That means yeah. that when we go out onto, onto a location, like we did with you, for example, we go out there at dawn. Do you know how much it costs to stage a dawn shoot in Hollywood North? You're paying double time for overtime. Right. You know? And there's all this turnaround bullshit and stuff. Yeah. For us, we just say, hey, show up at 5 in the morning yeah. or 4 or 3 in the morning, right? Yeah. And then we sit there and wait and we wait and we wait. And when the light gets right, we push the button. And it's, yeah. I mean, you look at that video, the light is it's beautiful because it's all magic hour. You cannot wait mm-hmm. for magic hour if you have a budget of less than, say, $20 million. But we get to wait for magic hour because we just camp on the beach. There's nobody right. standing around drinking coffee and eating donuts. It's just right. us, right? <laughs> and so it's just so great. Likewise, in editing, I I mean, our, our editing schedules now are generally about six months. Wow. 
Hollywood features don't spend anywhere near that for the most part, unless they have trouble. They cut them fast to get them out. Right. Right. We get six months. Yeah, you get that leeway, that time. Yeah. Sounds like freedom to me. Oh, it's total freedom. That's I've awesome. never been happier at work. Fantastic. I love this work. Wow. Yeah. How many years have you been doing this type of thing? Well, we've this the the, the documentary thread that we're yeah. on right now has been. I think it's getting close to ten years now. Nice. But that was on the heels of working for you know really twenty five years in in dr- drama. Cool. Yeah. So I mean, Amazing. God bless them. They they taught me all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things. And I, I still love it. I love working with actors. I, I think you saw with those kids that we have at the end of the video. I mean, mm-hmm. People are always like, did you hire them? Or yeah. where'd you get them? They're so awesome. They're so great. I love those kids. Yeah, this is the, um, the short film that Charles did for my song, Even When You're Gone for Elia, which you can check out on YouTube if you just type in Even When You're Gone, Will Blunderfield. Um, but it's a beautiful film. And that last scene with the kids, giving them the high five, that was such a great idea. That's that was Charles' cool. idea to sort of bring a hopeful, more positive spin to the to the song at the very end. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you a little bit about, am I allowed to ask you about your upcoming project on addiction? Um, I can always cut this out. So. Yeah, actually, there's something else that I wanted to talk about. It just keeps yeah. nickeling away. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about something else first? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I know that because I know your work uh, and how beautiful it is. And, and I know... Are we good still? We're good, yeah. Okay. I know... I know what um, things about the kind of audiences that are drawn to the work that you do. People are often wanting to do good as opposed to make money. I doubt if there's anybody listening to this whose primary focus for listening to this is that they want to get rich. I, I think that's... Yeah, most, uh, most people in my circles, they want to do good, contribute to society and the world, yeah. and then sometimes at the expense of like, it's like, well, wait a sec, you have to be able to make a living yeah. in order to sustainably do that. Like, yeah. You can't get poor enough to help the poor kind of thing. Yeah. But I am. So I have some pretty significant thoughts on that subject for Mm -hmm. this particular audience. And that is, and I've been working around this pretty much my whole life. Mm -hmm. But my my older brother, Will, for example, Mm -hmm. um, he has spent a lot of, he's an author and a health consultant, and he spent many, many years working in, in, disciplines that I think we could refer to as new age mm-hmm. and we've discussed that a lot and we've had a certain amount of conflict not not negative conflict but I've taken a position with with Will and his work where that's been very consistent and that has been that that if you want your work to reach the people that need to see it you have to tailor it to how they process stuff mm. so and and this really is such an important note for anybody who wants to do good, who wants mm-hmm. to save the world. If you take a movie like American Beauty, their primary primary focus in that movie was to make a good film. It also informed people's lives. It was so beautiful and it was so socially conscious and human conditioning. Yes. But then right after that, they made Pay It Forward, which was very new age, right? Mm-hmm. And it was see that one yeah, exactly. That's my point, right? It was really new age. It was about like it was kind of woohoo. Like okay. that, or woo-woo, however woo-woo, people yeah. say it, right? And so what I find is that I, I often would say to my brother, Will, that, that, that tell a good story first, and if the characters mm-hmm. believe in, in goodness, like, that will be the bonus. Like, for example, right. I've always said that a good movie, or a good story, a good novel, or whatever, by definition, that character is new age. That's, that's true. 
right? I like that, yeah. Like, like uh, Bogart in, in uh, The Big Sleep or in Maltese Falcon. He's a, he's a new age man. He's a good man. He has a really strong moral character. Casablanca, Bogart is a new age man. He could have the woman. He could take her away. He could, but he doesn't because he realizes that his soul will be lost. It would be the wrong, plus thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of, of, of Holocaust victims because, you know, the, um, Ingrid Bergman's husband is working so hard in the resistance. So he does the right thing. That's a New Age movie, Casablanca. Groundhog Day is a, is a New Age movie. But when you set out to make a New Age movie, when you set out to do something that's New Age, you end up with something like, uh, I don't see how you cannot compare it to uh, God is Not Dead. Did you, did, have you heard of that? No. It's a Christian movie that's called God is Not Dead. And it's just, it's tailored for a Christian audience. And I suppose for them it works fine. I personally don't know anyone who would watch that movie and not roll their eyes. Mm. Well, clearly, they want to talk to me. Like, if you believe that Jesus Christ should be the person, your personal savior, if you believe that I should believe that, well, then convince me. Don't just start out thinking that I believe what you believe because I don't, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And that's something super important when you're addressing, when you want to address a mainstream audience, which to mm -hmm. me is, is that's, I think that's who we always need, especially in these times when there's so much conflict and there's mm -hmm. and people are headed off in some pretty wrong directions. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to speak to those people and have them go, "Hey, that's kind of interesting." You know, I, I disagree. You know, you got long hair and you know you're some kind of hippie. You know, but you know what? You're actually making a good point. That's uh, we made a movie about the tar sands, mm -hmm. and and we had in every screening we had people coming there in work boots and hard hats because they went, you know what? That's a good fucking movie. Right. Yes. And 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 yet it also opened their mind. They 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 looked at it and they went, you know, actually maybe, maybe there is something to this climate change thing. To me, that was hitting the target in the center. But if we just did what so many other filmmakers do and say, you know, we're going to assume that you believe what I believe and feel what I feel, we don't. The audience does not. And especially when it comes to new age stuff, I think that I feel so sad when people are so well intentioned, mm -hmm. but then. Then they they either miscommunicating with with the, the audience that really needs to hear that really, message. I like that that really needs to hear the message yeah. that could benefit from it. Yeah, or get alienated by it. Yeah, you know, because like when somebody comes godding at me, I just get alienated, right? Well, it's so interesting you say this because um, I was just looking at stats from my my album sales, and remember we were at a party one night and I was singing to you my mantra song. He said, you know, that's a great melody and great mantra and the meaning I'm sure is great but you know to help it reach a mainstream audience what if you you know talked about how you really feel in English I've been lost I've been so lonely yeah. made so many mistakes so anyway after you told me that to me I, I was creating these lyrics based on the advice that you gave me and I just checked yesterday and it's the third best-selling song like of all time of any songs I've written Really? Yeah. How lovely is that? Yeah. So it's like. Do I get a cut? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, so That's great. And it's also one of my favorite to perform because I feel like I'm being so real. Mm -hmm. You know. I Instead love it when you sing those Krishna, words. Krishna, like up yeah, in yeah. the clouds. It's yeah. like let's get earthy here. You know what? There is not a truck driver on earth who cannot relate to you when you say I've made so many mistakes. Maybe things will get better. Yeah. Jeez, I don't know, but I hope they do. Right? Yeah. Like uh, you bring tears to my eyes when you sing that because it's the way I feel. I've made so many mistakes. You know, and there's a crack in the wall, and the light maybe will come through it. That that stuff is, that's universal. it's universal, and we all feel that way. We all feel like we're the only one that's screwed up, and everyone yeah. else is judging us. You know, right? 
but it's actually so many people feel that. Everybody feels that. Everybody. Yeah. We're all, you know, we're all mentally challenged. I'm crazy. I think you're, you're <laughs> pretty too. crazy too. Oh, well, amen. Yeah. <laughs> it's not numb. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's really beautiful. Yeah. Tell a good story first. Yeah. You don't have to ram it down people's throats. Yeah. You know, and I mean, if if we're going to talk about storytelling. Uh, there's something I, I taught for a while, and, and I loved it. I didn't like the bureaucracy. I, I was a university professor. I hated the bureaucracy stuff, the the meetings, the faculty meetings. I just wanted to uh, just stop breathing. They were horrible. But 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 um, what I used to say to my students, and it's funny because I see my students interviewed sometimes when they do a picture, and they'll say, "Oh, I had this teacher who used to say that it's all about story." And what story is, like, and they always quote me quoting Aristotle, is Aristotle said that what story is, and this is universal, it's a sympathetic hero on a vital quest against insurmountable obstacles. Every story that you've ever seen that you liked is that. Huh. And I would always defy people to, to tell me a movie that they saw that didn't conform to that, and they'd always dig out Kwanaskatsu, The World Out of Balance. Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know that one. Well, it's a bunch of random shots of, you know, airplanes landing and pollution, and, you know, oh, so it, it's an amazing picture. It's just totally and great. The car's going really yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the sympathetic hero in that is the Earth. Oh. And, yeah, yeah and it's on a vital quest to survive. Right. And the insurmountable obstacles are what assholes we are. Now, by sympathetic hero, do you mean uh, a hero that, you, that the audience can... Empathize, Empathize with? with that's exactly okay. what Aristotle meant by that. Yeah. Okay. And so, so if you think about it, the biggest mistake people make when they go to tell a story, and it's not just in in filmmaking or or book writing, it's also in songs. They they want to tell a story about a subject, not a story. Like like if if I sing to you a song about oh I love being in love, love is so great, isn't love grand? You're gonna go, dude, I can't relate to that. Yeah. But if I go, I once met a girl who broke my heart. Once in my younger days, I had a girl to love. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. That's a great story, right? right? So suddenly, I'm this guy that you can sympathize or empathize with because you've probably lost in love. Mm -hmm. I certainly have. And we all look back to our past and the mistakes that we've made. Yeah. And what happened? I want to know. And the nostalgia of that too. Yeah. As opposed to, I mean, the, the classic thing in documentary is you see people saying, oh yeah, I want to make a movie about pollution. And I go, um, <laughs> what about pollution? Well, it's, it's bad. Oh, gee, really? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> you know, what's the story? Tell me a story about a factory owner who pollutes the shit out of stuff because he couldn't care less, but he has this conversion. And then he stops and he tries to convince all his buddies to do the same thing. That's a good story. Right. I'll watch that. Right. Tell right. a story. Yeah. yeah. Not a subject. Mm. Love is a subject. What happened to you when you were a kid? That's a story. Right. Or what happened to you last week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's... But the world wants to know. Yes. The world wants to know that. They don't want to hear your opinion about how Trump is a bad man. Everybody gets that, okay? Mm -hmm. We want to know something that mm -hmm. will help us. I love that. Yeah, it, it almost feels like um, storytelling is in humans' DNA. Like we've been doing this for millions of years and yeah. we can really relate to each other when we tell stories versus just opinionated, you know. Yeah. Yeah, one is blather and the other one is, is yeah. somebody taking the time to craft a story. And when you think about it, without dramatizing us and the work that we do over much, most people in the world don't do what we do. You know, you've committed your life, I think, to being a storyteller. Mm. You know, you tell your stories through music and, and through yoga and the work and the work mm. that you do. I tell stories through films and, and books. Mm. And most people don't do that. 
the work that we do is not very well paid unless you get phenomenally wealthy, but realistically, most people don't. Most people who are, are filmmakers or, or, or recording artists, if they're lucky, they can make a living doing it. Mm. So we're kind of like the um, seers of society or the conscience of society. Mm. And it's a very useful role because somebody who's a welder, somebody who's a nurse, they don't really have a lot of time to reflect on the human condition. That's mm. our job. Mm. Every time you sit down to write a song, you're reflecting on the human condition, as am I. I mean, that's what we do. And that you perform a very vital role, just as vital a role as, as, you know, a doctor or a lawyer or somebody who collects garbage. I mean, we all have our role to fill. Is it our job kind of to be mirrors to society? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. Totally. You think of the best work that you've seen or heard. It's, you just look at it and you go, I recognize that. Right. I get that. Like, you know, yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Mm -hmm. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Well, I believe in yesterday. How many people can't relate to that? Like Everybody it, can relate to it, yeah. Yeah, you look at it and go, God, somebody else feels like me. Right. I used to be something. In reality, probably I didn't, right? Mm. Probably I'm as good as I'm ever going to be. No. Well, <laughs> well, and even the idea of catharsis, there's something so healing about catharsis. When you see yourself or your situation in a piece of art, yeah. whether it's in a song or a documentary or a film, it's almost that feeling of relief. Yep. Oneness. And then that can spur the individual on to um, being more brave in their own life, perhaps. Oh, ab absolutely. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Like the Michael Jackson song, You Are Not Alone. Yeah. Such a beautiful song. Yeah. And I, I don't you just love it when people put Easter eggs in their projects? You know what an Easter egg is, right? No. Okay, it's a, it's a gaming term. The kids told me this. Okay. Well, yeah, in, in, in video games, they put these little things, like little symbols or little things wow. that you can pick up that you only get if you sort of know the inside story. Oh. And it's called an Easter egg. So, for example, <laughs> if I were to, to do a, a movie and I had somebody say in it, um, somebody says, uh, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, mm -hmm. if I have that as a line of dialogue, mm -hmm. anybody who's ever seen Gone with the Wind, that's an Easter egg for them. Go, I know, I, I oh, get it, right? I see. yeah. People who haven't seen it don't, right? That's good. Yeah, it's really cool. So when I see Easter eggs and stuff where they'll say things, like for example, when somebody says, as you wish, in a movie, they're doing Princess Bride. That's what they're doing, right? And it's just so cool. Like it yeah. just, I, I hear them talking to me. They're saying, Charles, check it out. I love Princess Bride. And go, yeah, me too. So it's right. a way of talking to people, right? Right, and I guess maybe I kind of unconsciously have been doing that in my music by including the chord progression to canon and D. Totally. Or including a certain poem in, a, in the middle of a song. like Totally. Giving a little nod. Yep. And then it's the certain, yeah, having the audience relate to you on that. I like that. Easter eggs. Isn't that cool? Putting little Easter eggs in your, in your art. I do that all the time. I, I mean, we put Easter eggs in your, in your show. I, yeah? I, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I can't think of any offhand, but I know that we did. There are visual references galore. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I do that in everything I do. There's always shots that are reminiscent of something that Coppola did. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think so because it's a way of secretly communicating with your audience and going, hey man, I'm with you. Yes. Don't you just love it when... It's like camaraderie or... Yeah. 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 Togetherness, relating to... And when I see stuff like that in movies, I just go, I feel like we're on the same page and it's a great mm -hmm. feeling, you it know? It is a great feeling. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, I was going to ask you... How do you, because like to me you come across as a very like balanced and grounded. Do you have like any good daily habits that you use to help keep you in your highest so that you can have this amazingly creative long, long career? Like what, how do you do it? Well, how do you stay in balance? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I learned how to meditate when I was, uh, I don't know, 
20. When I was when 20. You're 20. What yeah. kind of, like transcendental meditation? Yeah, yeah, Maharishi meditation, which nice. is my favorite kind. My dad does that, yeah. And and I practiced yoga for years. Um, really? You know, Hatha yoga, yeah. Oh, I thought you didn't like yoga at all. Oh, God, no. <laughs> but you actually... Oh, yeah, no, I did for you. years, yeah. Oh, nice. um, and and those those disciplines I, I fall back on all the time. Um, not the Hatha as much as the, the meditation. Mm. But um, also, I mean, I'm with someone who is a miracle. Tina is just um, the kindest, most thoughtful... She's super grounded. Yeah, and everybody loves her. I mean, I don't know I how her. I got that lucky, but I sure got lucky there. And then I, I rely on this this family that I'm part of, and I, I recognize that my happiness is a function of theirs. Like uh, Everything I do is wrapped around and interwoven with this family that I'm a part of, mm. and... Uh, and they make me happy, and I, I seem to, to make them happy. I mean, I go swimming every morning. And it's cold, eh? Oh, yeah, it's totally cold. cold. So you do a cold water plunge, because that's really cold, in, yeah. in the sort of biohacking, the young dudes who are all doing this, you know, Wim Hof breathing, and then yeah. jumping into cold glaciers. So you've been doing this long before it was a trend. Yeah, I do it every morning. And you know what? It just makes me stand up, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that. The nervous system. I also, you know, like, we, we watch our diet. We walk. We take transit. We try to do all the things. We do do all the things that that tend to be good for you and mm -hmm. very few of the things that, that tend to be bad for you. I'm thinking also the blue zones. I don't know if you've heard about that. Like in Okinawa and Greece, um, they live so long and they're so, they're so healthy. Um, there's this trend of health, health there. And they found that it was um, community, you know, lots of good fats in the diet, um, the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, for sure, yeah. It seems kind of like you guys kind of follow that. We pretty much do, yeah. Plus, you're always having these amazing community gatherings. All the time, yeah. Uh, another thing, and this is something I guess is probably my real answer to your question, is that, and I know this is a controversial point of view to take, and I argue this with, with, with certainly with my kids often, um, and that is that I believe that specialization is for insects. I think that a, 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 a for insects. Insects. Yeah, I think that a fully functioning human being can cook a tasty meal, mm -hmm. play a beautiful song on the guitar or the piano, deliver a baby, build a table, mm. you know, uh, navigate uh, from here to you know, hundred miles away. I think that we're not designed to be specialists. I think we're designed to be generalists. And mm, I think that mm, it, what, whatever I do that seems to work is, is absolutely a function of, of me being a generalist. Cool. Like, like, I'm a good welder. I'm a very good carpenter. Mm. Um, like, you name, there, there are very few things that I can't do. I have a pilot's license. I mean, obviously, I, I, I can't. Well, I can set a bone. I can deliver a baby, certainly. Really? Yeah, absolutely. But, oh. yeah, it's not that hard. Delivering babies, people have been doing it forever, right? They didn't have medical <laughs> decrees. Um, but, Did you deliver a baby? No, but I've been there for, like, you know, four deliveries where right. I essentially delivered the baby. I mean, you basically, you just say breathe and, you know, push, yeah, push and push, pull, push. And cut a thing <laughs> and smack it, and it's, you're good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a lot more complex. Than uh -huh. that, but it's not, it's not more complicated, but it's kind of good to have medical staff standing by. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't dream of going without it. But I, I like, I'm a good, uh, not good, I'm an addict car mechanic I mm. fix my own car um, I ride a motorcycle and, and, and I, I'm not going I haven't fallen off it yet um, and, and I find that it's more it requires more skill to ride the motorcycle in traffic than it does to fly an airplane it's very very skill demanding but I, I try and 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 keep my hand in at all these things and I do all of these things all the time so mm -hmm. I appreciate that I have the luxury to do them. And also because, you know, we got lucky 30 years ago and managed to buy a house that we've almost lost a 
dozen, dozen times. Yeah. Well, just because of money, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I have a shop, so I can do stuff. So nice. I build, I mean, everything you see in this house, pretty much, someone has built, and most of it has been me. And I'm not, I don't think I'm great at it. I'm, I'm not. But uh, this stuff doesn't collapse, and I learn, and I get better. And, and somebody described it as a handmade life. And that's exactly the life that we live. It's a handmade life. Hmm. And I think that that's, um, I think that that's important. I think that when I people like that. ask my opinion on stuff or when people come to see my films, they're interested in my point of view because they know that I know stuff, mm -hmm. like, like cross-sectioned across a whole bunch of different disciplines. Yes. Right? So it may be that I would have done much better economically to focus on one thing, directing movies, and forget about family, forget about building stuff, forget about working on my car, all that sort of stuff. But I haven't. I've done all of those things all the way along. So when I go to make a movie, I bring all of those skills to it, that whole skill set, you know. Which is why you don't need such a huge entourage now. That's one of them, yeah. Um, what do we kidding? got here? <laughs> oh, yeah, we don't need that. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll just let that go. It'll take a second. Oh, it's gone. Oh, oh no. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. We get so many junk calls now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I've been getting stuff on my cell phone too. It's like, yeah, on the cell phone. People are like telling me that the government's going to arrest me because I haven't paid my taxes. Yeah. Do you get those? I actually got a real lady call me and tell uh, me that. Yeah, and I you said, just... I said, uh, I don't believe you, sweetheart. I yeah. have to go. And she got quite aggressive. And yeah, I just, tell her to fuck off. Oh, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. But um, anyway, we're back. I like that handmade life. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's really, really cool. But again, you know, we have specialists in our midst. I just think that most people are much happier when they can do a lot of stuff, you know. I can light yeah. a fire, you know. It feels so good to be able to be multifaceted. Yeah. And even, like, when I was doing stuff with Network, they would always be like, oh, like, put more videos on YouTube, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of their most successful artists right now, her name is Wanting Q. She was dating Gregor Robertson for a bit. She's from China. Oh, right. I've met her, yeah. You've met her? She's very sweet. Yeah. She's a do-it-herself kind of girl. See, that's know? great. She she does everything. She writes her songs. She plays piano. She directs the videos. Um, she constructs the tours and the itineraries and stuff. And I just love that. Like, it's really, it's really awesome. But it takes a certain amount of, what's the word, gumption, passion, energy. And that's what I see in you. And um, it's infectious. And... I'm wondering, I guess it's it's your good daily habits. It's I'm just wondering what drives you to like to, to be able to do all these things. You know? Uh, that's a complex that's question, <laughs> I think, Will. Um, yeah. I, I'm conscious of, of time. I'm conscious that time does not stand still and my life is finite. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not... I, I, I'm not 100% sure what's going to happen after this life is, is over, but I know that this is the life that I have right now. Mm -hmm. And I see things happening. I see people going to Greece and walking in the hills and, and, and making feta cheese. And I think I'd really like to spend some time doing that. And part of being human is doing that. And I'm afraid, I'm, I'm not afraid, but I don't, I don't want to miss that. You know, I see yeah. somebody flying a, a jet plane through the sky and I think, I wonder what that's like. And so, like, I've flown jet planes, right? And right. Wow, it's amazing. That's what it's like, right? The, yeah. the, but the, it's not just thrill stuff. It's, like, just all stuff. Like, what's it like to bake bread? Most people eat bread pretty regularly. What's it like to bake bread? Mm -hmm. You know, what's it like to grow stuff? What's it like to, to build stuff? 
You see somebody welding and you see this fire spurting from the tips of their fingers and you think, I, I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if, it, if that's something that would feel really cool, like to actually melt metal and have it joined together into a brand new shape. And, and so the world around is just so dizzyingly complex and fascinating. There's so much stuff to do. And like the idea of working your whole life you know, in the post office and then retiring and dying in a couple of years, having never really done anything, it just seems to me like such a waste of all the things that, that you could be good at. And the thing I find is, is that people, I know so many people who hesitate to do stuff, like to just build a table, for example. Anybody can build a table, unless you're quadriplegic. Otherwise, you can build a table. But everybody's always so afraid that they'll screw it up or that it won't look good or somebody will say, hey, what the hell, it's crooked and stuff. But you know what? Everything I build is crooked. I'm fine with that. You know, some more crooked than others. I don't mean my stuff, I'm, I'm getting better at it. But mm -hmm. still, I don't care. In fact, I like it being crooked. Like, you look at this table that we're sitting at right now. This. Yeah, I did, yeah. That's and these cute. chairs and everything, right? Nice. Like, the, 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 the surface of it is, is irregular. It's got, my hands are all over this. Mm -hmm. It's not something that came from Ikea. This was not made no. by a machine. It was made by hands. And so it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, whether, whether you are somebody who likes Ikea perfection or not, mm -hmm. I find that most people respond to things that are made by hand. Yes. Right? So the idea that, oh, I can't do this because I won't be good at it, do it because you're not good at it. That's right. a great reason that to do stuff. Actually, make it more beautiful. Yeah, it makes it more beautiful. The yeah. grain is what makes it beautiful. That's the awesome. imperfections. That's awesome. I mean, you look at a beautiful human being, whether it's a woman or a man. People who are the most perfect are the least interesting. Mm. But if they've got a chipped tooth or slightly, you know, too mm. crooked face or one eye is yeah. a little bit bigger than the other one, that's mm. what makes it. Look at every Hollywood movie star. Mm. Julia Roberts is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. You know, Rihanna. Not not at all, right? Mm. There's always an imperfection, and that's what makes them beautiful. Right. There's a Japanese word for that. I can't remember what it is. but Oh, yeah, you're right. There is. Maybe, like in a cracked cup, they won't throw it out. They'll put like gold in the crack. Yeah. There's a certain word for it. Wabi-sabi. Yeah, I love wabi -sabi. that. Yeah, yeah, wabi-sabi. Cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been reading this book called The Tools with this men's group that I'm in, and it's, a, it's these tools that you can use these two psychologists were fed up with the whole like, oh, let's just analyze our patients and figure out what's wrong with their childhood and just talk about that. They wanted to give their patients actual tools that they could use in the moment when they were experiencing a challenge. And one of them is called Jeopardy. And it's where you, if you're feeling like you're uninspired and low energy and like you kind of lethargic, you've got shit to do for your dream, just imagine your future self on your, on your deathbed, just looking at you and screaming at you to stop squandering your life. <laughs> And that's helped me so much oh, yeah. to like get shit done. I just like see my deathbed self. No, okay, I'm going to do it. Let's yeah. do this. That's good. I like that. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really helpful. I thought when you said Jeopardy that you meant when you're in a rut, to put yourself in the way of danger and Jeopardy is a way oh. of getting out of it. Well, that could be too. Because uh, yeah. I know people who are just in these ruts and they're just so entitled and, and precious and I often think that if I were to take them over the, you know, the, the R Congo or Nigeria and drop them out of a plane with a parachute and no money, if they made it back here, they wouldn't be bored anymore. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? add, some, add some excitement there. Yeah, right? <laughs> like I rode the motorcycle yesterday. I rode up to visit our son out in the valley. And, and uh, anybody who rides a motorcycle who's still alive knows that Every time you get on that, you are at the center of a storm. Right. You know, like you, you, 
the, the, be in the moment. The pitfalls that await you are, are horrific, and you have to be in the moment. Like riding a motorcycle is one of the most zen things I think that you can do, especially an electric bike, because then there's less of a, an impact. But I mean, when I ride my motorcycle, I don't think about my job. I don't think about my family. I don't think about anything except why is that guy trying to kill me? <laughs> you're just on it. You're just like in the yeah, moment. Uber defensive. Yeah, yeah. But, but you, your mind can't wander. Right. You, you yeah, just, absolutely. everything, you're just so precise. You're completely in the moment. It's like the best yeah. meditation yeah. when you're not thinking the internal monologue is gone. It's just gone. You're right. just right there and you're Superman flying through space. Right, that's yeah. so cool. It is super cool, yeah. When did you first start riding? Uh, when I was a kid, like when I was 16, I bought a bike. I, I used to ride, ride my bicycle like crazy. I, uh, I was always on my bicycle. But then when I got old enough, I, I got a, a bike when I was a kid. Nice. My parents really didn't want me to because my uncle had a really bad accident, mm. lost his leg and killed somebody and all that kind of stuff. Oh, shoot. Yeah. yeah, so understandably, my parents were pretty un, un, unwilling to let me go. Yeah. But um, but I did anyway, and, and I, I didn't... Thank God I didn't do too much damage. And, nice. uh, but then I stopped. That's me. Then I stopped uh, riding for years just because it didn't fit into what I was doing. Excuse me. But then uh, I've always had open cars. I've always had British sports cars. Um, it sounds like I'm rich or something, but it's just because I'm an okay mechanic. I'd buy an old MGA for like 1500 bucks. Nice. And fix it, fix up. it up. You know, wow. just through the dint of my work rather than expensive parts. And then I'd have an open car. I've had an open car pretty much my whole life. Wow. Yeah, and I just, it's part of my deal. I just want to be outside. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I was doing a feature movie down in, in uh, Louisiana um, about uh, 10, 11 years ago, um, I don't know, I just got really interested in riding again, but I wanted to ride a bigger bike. And so I looked around down there and I reasoned, this is cool, I reasoned that so many Europeans have seen Easy Rider and what they wanted to do was buy a motorcycle up in the north, like in New York or something, mm -hmm. and then ride down to Louisiana. Mm -hmm. But nobody wants to ride back because that's not an right. easy, easy rider, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I got down there, I started looking in the paper in the one ads, and it's sure enough, there are all these bikes down there that like Europeans had ridden down. So I found one in Mississippi, just right across the border, um, that uh, it was an old BMW, big one, 1,000cc, and it was in perfect condition. And the guy hardly wanted a thing for it because it wow. was just, yeah. And so I, I thought, well... Yes, and I, I got it, and it's just been a, an amazing bike. I've never had it in the shop. Yet. That's so cool. I, I can fix it myself with a screwdriver and a hammer. Wow. <laughs> You're so passionate, and you are so multifaceted. I was speaking with um, your brother's partner, Tashina. Tashina, yeah, she's a wonderful girl. I love her. And we were talking a bit about like addiction, and we both agreed that both of us had addictive tendencies, and that it's all about finding the right things to get addicted to. Exactly. And like, I just feel like you, you are... Maybe it's not even addictive. You're just passionate and you found life-giving things to focus on that bring you joy and those around you joy. And um, I just, I really feel like that might be one of the keys to overcoming addiction. Like, you know, I was getting into things like cocaine in my past and really like I've realized you can get the same high but even better yeah. by just getting addicted to the right things. Like for me now, it's like Kundalini Yoga and, and my career, like making music and collaborating with people and coming over to your house and jamming with people and um, those hits are like the same kind of hits that I would get when I was doing drugs but they're completely natural and sustainable yeah and they build on each other and and they're good for your psyche yes you know you asked me a bit about this movie that we're researching on on, on addiction and I'll tell you that where where I am in the thinking on that is very much in relation to the comment that you just made 
that I haven't found good words to say yet, and that's why we're not in production yet. I'll find the right way of describing it, I mm -hmm. hope. But the way where I'm at with it right now is that having spoken with people who have got serious addiction issues, you know, people for whom addiction to various things has really put them in way of ruining their lives, mm -hmm. and then talking to people who live in nice houses but are also very much addicted to this and that, what I realize is that that every person has got what I think of right now as a circle of good, a circle of good things. Like right now, I have in my circle of good all these things that we've been talking about. I have a woman who loves me absolutely, whom I love. Um, we have a long history together, wonderful history. We've got these children who are grown up now who we just absolutely love. I have a house that I can work on all the time. That I, All these things, I have a motorcycle, da-da-da. It goes on and on, and I get to work in the garden. I love these things. Mm. If you start subtracting those things, if you start pulling things out of a person's circle of good to the point that there's virtually nothing left, it creates a vacuum. And into that vacuum gets sucked the quickest most high-test stuff that you can get to get a hit from, a good hit from. So if I didn't have any of these things in that circle of good, I know, because I have a long background with drugs, um, I know where I would go with this, mm. that, that, that I would go there, right? Mm. So, I mean, I've worked in the downtown east side where, where people have serious addiction problems that have mm. really taken them out of the mainstream. And every single one of those people has lost everything good in their life. And so what gets dragged into that vacuum are really toxic and negative things. So, right. so the way to start coming back from that isn't to just say, hey, don't do drugs. That's bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. well, you tell me what to do that's good then. Tell me how I'm going to at least get feeling good tonight. Because right now I feel super bad yeah. and I'm going to go get a hit a crack. Because that's going to set me up for the next yeah. few hours. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, but tell me what I can do to replace all the stuff that I've lost. And so if I tell you, hey... We're working with bees. Why don't you come and help? Because we need somebody to help, you know, making the honey and stuff like that. Show up tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock and we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up. All of a sudden, you've got something good. You've got all these people that you're working with, people that you love, that depend on you and you depend on them. That's one good thing. You can't stop there because, you know, I got more than one good thing and so do you, right? Mm -hmm. So you start building one good thing after the other. And before you know it, you don't need any of the addictive stuff. It's gone. And the high that you get from that as you said, is way better high than you get from crack or from cocaine or from you know alcohol or any of those things. Right. Right? But it's it's you need the personal discipline to go out there and find good things to put in that basket of yours. Like mm. somebody that you love or somebody that you can you can care for. Be a big brother. Volunteer. I mean, nobody's gonna stop you from volunteering and going working at a soup kitchen. Those people will thank That's you awesome. so much. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and it's always about other people. It's always about being part of the community. It's not about it's sitting down and, and, and doing something for yourself. It's about doing something for other people. I love that. One of my friends, Michael Talbot Kelly, mm -hmm. said in order to be happy, we need something to get good at and somebody to love, something to love. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean... It's so easy to say it's about me because we're living in a Donald Trump world where everything's about me. And yet, do you honestly think that man is happy? Would well, you trade places with him? he's eating at Wendy's every day, then no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he just seems to me like so classically unhappy. Like I wouldn't yeah. trade with him for all the rice in China. You well, know? it's funny that he must be a mirror of, a lot of how a lot of people are feeling if, if he was elected. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely yeah, yeah. A lot of people are not feeling so happy. No, there's in, a lot of anger. Own, and, in their own being. Yeah. A lot of rage. Yeah, a lot of rage. 
and a lot of vilification and scapegoating. Like apparently once he was elected, uh, watching something on the news about how certain kids, certain white kids were now telling their, you know, their Hispanic teachers, we don't have to listen to you anymore because sure. Donald Trump is, it's yeah. like, it's, it's, um, it's crazy. But then what's the solution? I feel like the solution is to turn inward. Solution is meditation to, as cheesy as it is, to be the change that you wish to see in the world. I, I have to say that I agree that meditation is an incredibly powerful tool, but I disagree that turning inward, turning away from the outer world is a solution. The, the, the well, turning in first to get a certain sure. amount of knowing who you are and then okay. we see, the wave we, of going we, in and then out. Well, what Maharishi said, mm -hmm. um, and I thought that his point of view on meditation was quite a bit different than the other people that were talking about it in that time and mm -hmm. that talk about it now, in that he appeared, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he appeared to be saying that meditate so as to make yourself better capable of working in the world, in this world. I love that. It's a householder's yeah. form of yoga that he was teaching, as well as the Kundalini Yoga. It's not so that you can become this ascetic and just live in a cave the rest of your yeah. life. It's so that you have the tools that you can use to be robust, strong, and, song, and soft enough to function in the world and make change. Yeah, ex exactly. To make the, yeah. the because if you give up, I mean, so many we see so many young people just give up and they descend into craft beer. And, I almost did that. And, yeah, and, oh, and yeah. like, mine, mine was. Um, just, just sitting in saunas and meditating all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it feels great. But when, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, Will, <laughs> my, my brother Will, we were talking about about uh, Indian, uh, you know, from India, um, um, values and 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 philosophy systems, and he said that he's come to realize that any country that's as messed up as India, mm. wouldn't it be great if all of those millions of people who are sitting there delving inward would get up off their asses and do something about the dead bodies lying on the street? Right, because their society is really a broken society. That's really interesting you say that, because when I was just doing, you know, half a yoga, I did sort of feel very lethargic, and I didn't have the energy that I needed to even freaking like make my kitchen clean. Yeah, I was just meditating all the time. Yeah, and it feels great. It feels great to meditate, but then there is this now you feel like, oh my god, my kitchen's dirty, and <laughs> you know, I I kind of want to release a new album, but I don't have the gumption to do it or the energy to do gumption's it. Gumption's a great word. I love that word. Yeah, I just I love that word, gumption. Yeah. So I'm just so grateful that I discovered Kundalini Yoga because, it, as you said, it's a householder's yoga, as is Maharishi's TM. Yeah. It's designed for people who who still need to function in the world, and it actually helps you function better in the world. And that's what we need to do because. We can fight back. Like I was talking to this wonderful old Haida elder last week, and I mentioned you know some of this ongoing stuff that we're seeing south of the border, mm -hmm. and he just smiled quietly. He said, "Well, you just need to fight harder." Mm. And I, I thought, absolutely, and and mm. that's what you do, and that's what Fierce I do. Gentleness, yeah, is is to try and make the world around us better, to try and encourage people around us to be aware of the problems, but to also recognize that there are, there are solutions. Like, for example, our, our, our movie about Haida Gwaii, which I'm just enormously proud of. It's called Haida Gwaii on the Edge of the World. And the, the, the cut line on the poster is, maybe we're not totally screwed. And, and that's the message that you get when you go to Haida Gwaii, is that you sit there with the elders and you listen to them talk and you see the words 
finding a way into reality there, yeah. that, that there's a potential there, which is often realized, where people live these beautiful lives, where they don't go to McDonald's ever. They, Trump doesn't mean anything to them. They work, they go fishing, they do the jobs they do. Often they work online and they do great work for here, you know, the design or whatever. But they live in this pure environment and they, they're involved in community and they trade food and they grow mm. food and they sing and play. They don't watch television. They don't use their goddamn smartphones. Right. They're just, it's a really, really, I mean, it's, it's maybe we're not totally screwed. Maybe we could do that because right now you go to any North American city and the vast majority of people seem to me to be pretty desperately unhappy. Well, it's, it's funny when I teach on the North shore in places like deep cove yeah. yoga, yeah. and it just feels, the energy feels so good. And then when I'm walking from my place in Cole Harbor to the downtown core, seeing people's faces, I can feel my energy shift. <laughs> I really have to yeah. do my yoga breathing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you're talking about Vancouver. Think about if you're in Milwaukee. Right. Right? Right. Everybody's fat and, you know, they're just angry because, I mean, I understand why Trump came to power. I think we all do is that he was the only guy saying, besides Bernie Sanders, but they sabotaged him. Mm-hmm. He, he, of the two of them, he was the only guy saying, you're getting screwed. Mm-hmm. And he's right. We're getting screwed. I mean, the inequality is rising at an enormous rate. And there are people who are phenomenally wealthy. And then there's everybody else. I like to say that this neighborhood that we live in, you're going to like this, this neighborhood that we live in, people would expect that I drive a Maserati, but instead I drive a Ratty Mazda. (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome I love your well it's got a great sound system yeah yeah that's true yeah yeah. did it come with that or did you rig that I did did I think once people are given a glimpse of the bliss that comes from specializing and training themselves and learning tasks and learning new skills then as you said that circle of good begins to expand yeah and it's almost like I heard somebody once say in, in the realm of addiction just add the good stuff yeah. Don't don't tell somebody don't do that. That doesn't work. It doesn't work, right? It, it, it really doesn't. I mean, honestly, people have told me not to do stuff my whole life, and it just bounces off me like water off a duck's back. When somebody says, "Here, try this," I go, "Yeah," and then suddenly I don't have time for that. Like right. the the thing that, that McLeod, uh, the I believe, McLean, McLeod said about the the Rat Park experiment, you know, with with the um, oh yeah yeah and the returning GIs from from Vietnam, you know, something yeah. like sixty percent of them were addicted to heroin in Vietnam when and they came home. in the forest. Yeah, when it came home, it went down to like two percent because they didn't have time for it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not about the drug. Drugs don't addict. Gabor Mate says that mm. drugs don't exist and don't, don't addict. Yeah. It's the, the it's the absence of good stuff and the yeah. the life that we live, the world that we live in. Every advertisement that you see, every every commercial word that you hear, and we're, we're, we're soaking in it, every one of those messages drives you further away from what you need to do. You need to block uh-huh. that shit out because put down your phone, stop watching the TV, go for a walk in the natural world. The natural world right. is the biggest healing force that we have available to us. Forest and thank God we have that. You can go outside. Especially in Vancouver, it's so yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, but anywhere, everywhere you go, nature is there, everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there's grass growing under the sidewalk. So get yourself out there and just walk and think. That's beautiful. I think Gabor also said the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Yeah, that's exactly right. Connection and to yourself, connection yeah. to nature, meditate. Yeah. Have something to get good at, something to focus on that, well, that brings you joy, and joy to those around you. Totally. Severin Suzuki, David's daughter, in, in, our, in, the, in the Haida Gwaii movie, she said that the two most revolutionary things that a human being can do is source food and get involved in community. 
that's good. And the more I think about it, the more I think that Seb is right, mm -hmm. that sourcing food is actually revolutionary. You're yeah. defying the multinational conglomerates, the, the, right. the guys who just, they take the life out of food. I read yeah. today that 70% of all American meat, including mm -hmm. fish, chicken, beef, lamb, pork, all that, has got superbugs in it. You know, for, for like they, because they, they feed so many antibiotics, antibiotics, like high antibiotics to uh, ameliorate the sickness that they would otherwise get from living in such closed quarters in yes. the factory farms. So, I mean, the, the, the implications for human health in that are just extraordinary. Well, if you, if you want to eat meat, there are so many places you can go to where there are honest farmers who have one cow or two cars, cows that they're treating like family members. Right. And, and, and that, at least, isn't factory farming. Yeah, or right? even pasture to plate downtown. I don't know if you've been there, but it's just from one farm in North yeah. BC owned by one couple. Yeah. Sustainable. It feels so good to get meat from there. And people say, oh, but everybody can't do that. And that's actually not true. Everybody can do that. You have to lessen your meat consumption. Yeah, yeah. we'll just stop eating meat, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, and now there's great substitutes for meat. Yeah. But, but you're right, just lessen your consumption. Just lessen it. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, we would have like beef maybe once a week because it was expensive and we weren't right. rich. Right. And it was like a treat. It was great. It was a holy cow. This is like Friday. Woo, like that. Now, Americans eat, meat they eat meat meal. at three meals a day. Yeah. And they're fat, right? It's crazy. Yeah, so. It's an addiction to meat. I, it, very much so, yeah. yeah. And the rest of the world is catching it. You're oh, seeing yeah. how everywhere is, is now. India, for God's sake, they're eating hamburgers. Like, oh my God, stop what? it. Yeah. yeah. For listeners, and I'm sure most listeners know, in India, cow is considered sacred. Yeah, totally. I heard if a family member dies, often the cow will start to cry. The family cow will start to weep. Really? Yeah. Yeah. One yoga teacher told me that when they were in India, they noticed the cows were quite emotional beings. Huh. I heard a great criticism one time. Some guy leveled at, at his wife who was being like super needy because she didn't think he was appreciating them enough. He said, you know what? If you want to be worshipped, go to India and moo. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I thought it was pretty good. That's, that's good. Have you been to India? No, never. I've never been either. I want to go. Me too. Yeah. It'd be nice to check it out. Yeah. Our friend Custine is going to India in yeah. a couple of weeks on a six-month six ashram retreat. I'm going on a silent retreat in a couple of weeks to Denman Island. Have you oh, been cool. There? Yes, of course. Denman's beautiful. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Denman's great. Sweet. Yeah, yeah we really have friends stoked. who, who uh, have places there and stuff. It's super sweet. It's but, amazing the beauty in our, in just in our surroundings here yeah. in British Columbia. It's so gorgeous. Well, the Gulf Islands surround us, and life on the Gulf Islands is, by definition, alternative. I mean, they don't have McDonald's anywhere there. Right. You know, there's no corporate presence at all on any of the Gulf Islands except Sweet. the main one, Vancouver Island. Mm -hmm. And so even Vancouver Island, people are living apart, and it's, it's, it's mm. pretty beautiful. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm. Because, I mean, bottom line, again, it's that people then have to do stuff for themselves. They have to go and actually source food. Because you know? realistically... Castine's, can I just direct you for yeah. one sec? Castine's talked about the word dumbification. Yeah, that's a good word. There's a dumbification that, that's happening with, you know, the excess prescription of pharmaceuticals. Like oh, yeah. For example, they want all gay dudes on AIDS drugs, whether or not you have so-called yeah. HIV. It's Don't like, do it, yeah. Wait a sec, like that no. can cause liver failure, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah, and then, um, you know, like just even the food and, and the corporations and putting GMOs in and, and pesticides, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. It seems like there's a dumbification happening where people are kind of being sapped of their energy. So like they don't really have the energy to 
you know, learn how to weld or to like make a table and something. Mm. It seems like you've been able to rise above that. Well, I've been very, very lucky though, Will. Uh, you know, working in the movies, I made enough money on any individual project because directors get paid pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, that then, because I never hustled it really, I got to spend time at home. So, I mean, I got to raise our kids, like Tina and I. Right. Really, I, I mean, I changed their diapers all the time. I, I walked them to school because I was mostly an unemployed bum. But when I worked, <laughs> I made enough money that I could make, you know, make a living. Not a great living, but like a living. Yeah. And, and so I've been extremely lucky in that way. But still, I see that. You know, people tell me that. And this is a debate that I have with friends sometimes and, and our kids. You know, oh, well, you're lucky because you get to do this. But, you know, other people don't have the leisure. That's actually technically not true. Anybody who's got a smartphone has got time to learn how to be a carpenter. Just put down the goddamn phone, okay? How many hours do you spend staring at that hopeless little box, oh you know, texting your friends that you're eating a sandwich? Like, I heard that, I don't know if this is true, one of my students was telling me that when Apple was designing these screens, that they're actually designed them to, to help to release dopamine in, in the brain of a human. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Like it is quite addicting. Like I oh. can, sometimes I can get addicted to Instagram, just yeah. scrolling and looking yeah. at all the pictures, yeah. and I have to force myself. Like I'm like, whoa! Like you're being like an addict. Like focus. oh my god, it's completely addictive. Your eyes away from the screen. I, I, you know, I was briefly on Facebook, and you know, people would send me a note like, oh, wish you know Brittany a happy birthday or something. So I'd click on it, and there I'm. Now I'm, I'm there. I'm in. Yeah. Right. And like two hours later, I look up and go. Okay, I know some guy named go. Brad went snowshoeing, but I don't know who Brad is. Because it shows you the news. Yeah, like it's a, and I just wasted two hours, and I didn't know anything I didn't know before that's of any value to me. And it's just like, okay, yeah, this is toxic. It's, it's it's addictive, but I don't I don't want to be here anymore. I mm -hmm. think social media is bullshit, and I thought mm -hmm. that from the very beginning. And I, I'm sorry to say that I feel that maybe I was right that that social media is just not good. Well, I know a lot of people my age will compare their backstage lives to the airbrushed photoshopped lives that they see yep. of their peers on Instagram yep. and then it leaves you feeling inadequate yep. like you're not doing enough and then when you feel like you're not doing enough you don't have enough impetus to actually go do shit yeah totally so it can really affect the self-esteem I feel oh no the, the studies are very very clear there's no question at all mm -hmm. that people who use a lot of social media are by definition much less happy than people who don't use social media mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, you see all these perfect lives going on around you, and mine ain't. Well, and then you hear about the whole scandal. I mean, I don't really watch the news much, but Edward was, my brother was saying that there was some scandal with Facebook where people, it was made known that Facebook is able to tell, like, where you are, like, what street you're on, what house you're in. Absolutely. And stuff, and, and um, it became public, so then Facebook released all the technology, and Edward got a download of all the information they had on him for the last, like, several years, mm -hmm. and it could show, like, where he was at any given time of the day. Like, he was in the bathroom of her house. He was at the school. <laughs> he took the bus downtown to work in Gastown. He went to Body Energy Club and got a smoothie. Yeah. Facebook knew exactly where he was. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, no, it's, it's like not. Big Brother. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even on Facebook. I have a smartphone. I don't know why, because I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I text once in a while, like, mm -hmm. where are you in the store, or you know, are you coming home, or that, that kind of thing. But otherwise, like, I don't use it for really anything. Mm -hmm. But what I notice is that there's a feed, like when you swipe down on an Android phone. Yeah. You can mute your phone, like, and you know, to, to, then I, whenever I go to anything, I always mute it. But then you see all the stuff that, that they put up there, like that's sort of your, your wall or your newsfeed. Yeah. And what I see is, oh, you were just at Stanley Park. How would you rate Stanley Park? 
It's like, wait a minute. I didn't tell anybody that I went to Sally Park. Like, what? How does Facebook know that you were just there? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe the GPS system or something. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? I mean, have you ever stopped and asked yourself how come Google Maps knows when there's heavy traffic in an area? Yeah, how do they do that? It's by collecting cell phone pings. If they're all the cell phone pings are standing still, there's heavy traffic. Oh, that's how they do it. We're just being watched constantly. Wow. And yeah. then yeah, and then the ads on your phone and your computer are targeted. Like all my ads are about yeah. like yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's I, very smart. I recently got a VPN. Do you know what a VPN is? No. It's a. Uh, I've heard the term. Yeah, I can't remember what it stands for, but what it is is it's a a piece of software mm -hmm. that that masks where you are, and you can choose to be anywhere you want. Oh, okay. So, for example, I go to Los Angeles or New York or or Britain or whatever, and so. They can't track me. I, nice. I, that, that, and the, the net effect has been that since I started using the VPN, I don't get any pop-up ads anymore on the computer. They, they, when I search, you know, a new electric drill, for the next month, I used to get ads all the time popping up saying, oh, you want to buy this drill? And it's like, drill. dude, I already got one. Shut up, right? <laughs> right? But now I don't get any of that. So VPNs nice. are great. Oh, yeah. that's good to know. I got it to mask that we're in Canada because our son was here and he wanted to watch basketball, mm -hmm. like the basketball finals, and you can't watch that in Canada mm -hmm. unless you, you have to be in the States or you have to buy a really expensive oh, cable thing, and we don't watch television, right? right? So I had to like mask, and it worked, yeah, it worked great. It worked, oh, there we go. Yeah, and it's like six bucks a month or something. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's good to know, that's a nice little, little tool there. Because otherwise, your entire browsing, browsing history, everything that you've ever touched mm -hmm. is available and for sale. Yeah, that's the whole thing for sale. <laughs> Apparently, like some company actually sold the data from Facebook from tons of people in the states to Donald Trump's um, administration as he was trying to get elected. Yeah. So then people were wondering if that influenced the vote. Oh well, abs absolutely. I mean, they don't. They, I mean, our daughter works in in uh, data analytics, and not for the one that, that we did all the bad stuff for Trump, but the, the principle is very simple. You only have finite resources when you're working on an election. Like, if if the conservatives call me, that's a wasted time because there's no way under any circumstances I'm going to vote for a business party. I'm just not going to. Those guys are going to the wrong. They're just not humans, right? right? So so why waste time talking to me? Talk to somebody who's undecided but leaning right mm -hmm. because that's your fertile ground. You can motivate somebody who's not thinking of going to the polls, not going to vote. But you go, hey man, listen, this is important. You know, do you think abortion is right? Okay, well then get out there and vote against it. Vote for me, right? Right? Do you think gays should be right? No, let's get rid of those goddamn gays, right? Go out and vote for them, right? Like that's how they do it, and it right. works. It, it works, works like a charm. Yeah. I mean, that's what got Trudeau elected, and that's certainly what what got Trump elected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, our daughter is very, very moral, and and she her company is extremely moral, and they don't work for the bad guys. I mean, mm -hmm. I've seen them turn down hugely lucrative contracts for the bad guys and they, they just don't do it. But it still gives me a little bit of misgivings. You know? Yeah. But I guess you fight fire with fire. I mean. Yeah. You know. I the phrase hurting people hurt people comes to mind. Like when we think about the bad guys, it's like Yeah, that's good. I like that. You know, I'm sure Donald Trump is the way he is because of his upbringing. Yeah. Like didn't he have a, a, a sibling who committed suicide and wasn't his father abusive and pretty abusive, yeah. You know, and um I wonder how change happens. Um, like I've been studying the work of David R. Hawkins, and he talks about, um, he says, this is what he said back in 2009, and he's a, he's a psychiatrist. He said 85% of the world's population 
is not on the vibration or frequency of love. Their consciousness is not on, they're, they're in a state of fear. Mm -hmm. So if you come by and you're on the frequency of love most of the time, and then you're talking about, oh, let's just dance together and have kumbaya moments and love mm -hmm. each other, they're either going to think that you're crazy or they're going to think that you should be shot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Right, so his whole take was that if you want if you want to make change, the best thing to do is mind your own business and keep your mouth shut. And he did say something about the Maharishi effect, mm -hmm. where when people come together to meditate, they did certain studies in certain cities like Chicago, where crime rates would go down when groups of people would come and just meditate. Mm -hmm. So I mean, there's nice. there's something about and even your brother's book, he talks about quantum activism. Mm -hmm. Will Wilkinson, the book is called Now or Never. And the idea that maybe we can affect change by meditating to a certain degree, but I'm just wondering what's the, if you're somebody who wants to affect change, what's the best way to do it? Like, I don't think, my intuition tells me just sitting on a cushion for the rest of your life isn't going to do it. Nope. But getting really angry and, you know, getting militant and aggressive, I don't think that's going to do it. So I guess, is it sort of somewhere in the middle for each one of us? We're going to... I, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I think that, that to be strong and good is what everybody's goal should be. Goodness without strength is worthless. Right. That's sitting on a pillow. Right. right? You need to be strong. Mm -hmm. right? So, so mm -hmm. get, make yourself strong. The way you get strong is by getting enough sleep at night and by eating properly and not Good drinking too habits. much. And yeah, like, yeah. yeah. And you know, doing enough exercise and, and reading and working out your brain and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but um, I think that the, the path is open for everyone to make a positive contribution. If you, you know, start a food stand somewhere that serves organic food that's really tasty mm -hmm. and people are going, hey, wow, this is great. It doesn't taste like a Big Mac. Because you are doing something that's incredibly valuable. Right. And, and if everybody does that, our world will change. You can't change the world in and of itself by yourself. I mean, Gandhi couldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I certainly can't, but I can make a small contribution. So if you do something... And here's the cool, the kicker about this is that when you do something that's really good and constructive, it feels great. Right. It's not, you're not doing it because, oh, it's like broccoli, you should eat it or something. Like when I do something that's good, it feels good. Like a natural high. Yeah. I mean, I know guys, I know like a number of guys who have jets, right? I know very, in movies, you get to know quite a few different kinds of people. And I would not describe those guys as insanely happy, you know, um, to have those kinds of resources at your disposal that is not what, what makes you happy. But one of my, a friend, I have a good friend who has a chat, an amazing chat. And you know what makes him happy? Inviting all his friends to come along with him on trips. Mm. He invites me up into the cockpit. He says, hey, do you want to fly? And I go, dude, are Kennedy. you kidding? Yeah, but it's about, it's about that. His plane's full of, of friends all the time. Nice. That's what makes him happy. Right. right? Like just to get in his jet and fly around. That, that, he, doesn't, he doesn't even do that. He yeah. flies people around because... That's what makes him feel happy. And, right. and, and, and so when you do something that's good for the people around you, it will make you happy. Yes. And there's so many constructive things to do. I mean, you can sit around a bitch about how, you know, Trump canceled the EPA or whatever. But, or you can go out there, volunteer to clean up the vacant lot next to you. Pick up some garbage. Nobody's going to stop you from doing it. That was like um, when um, a few weeks ago my student came up to me and she said that her co-worker had just been kicked out of his house because his parents were Jehovah's Witnesses and they he told them that he was gay. 
Jeez. He told them that he was gay, and then they just said, "Well, we're not going. We're disowning you. We don't want to see you ever again in our lives. You're oh, dead gosh. to us." And it made me kind of emotional, <laughs> obviously. And so I thought, well, I could either like let that get to me, or I could do something. I would do something. So, you know, make the single. So I made the single Stand By Me, a uh, cover of it, put it on iTunes and, you know, raising money for Out in Schools, which is um, helping to cur- uh, curtail bullying by showing LGBTQ-themed movies in, in elementary and high school. That's and great. Presentations. One of my buddies actually, the, one of the heads of it. And so that feels good to sort of redirect the focus to something, to build something that you believe in. And David R. Hawkins talks a lot about that too. It's like, you can love strawberry ice cream but you don't have to hate people who like pistachio, <laughs> right? So I don't have to hate Jehovah's Witnesses because they hate me. Or Trump. I can just, or I don't have to hate Trump because he doesn't like me or transgender people. I can just focus on, you know, building what I want, celebrating what I want. And, and David Hawkins says you can have parades about strawberry ice cream. You get tattoos about how much you love strawberry ice cream, but you don't have to hate the people who don't like it yeah. or who like something different. Yeah. And Will, your brother, was telling me something about like when you're talking to a homophobe or somebody who has a completely different um, belief system than you do, he said a great technique to foster a forward motion feeling in the conversation instead of an argument is to... Um, just keep questioning them lovingly about what they just said. Oh, I hate gay people. Oh, when did you first, you know, start feeling that way? And just keep getting to a place where you finally find a common ground yeah. and then focus in on the common ground and let that expand. Yeah. I think that's a great that's, technique. That's, that's wonderful. I, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in, you know, very working class neighborhood and a lot of the people around me were homophobic. And maybe it was because I was in entertainment from the very beginning. And, like, we knew gay people before that word existed or before right. it meant that. And, and when it was, you know, deep in the closet and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it never really impacted me in any kind of negative way. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't claim that I'm a better person than anybody else. It just, you know, it, it just didn't. And, and, and you were around it since such a young age. So yeah. It just seemed like, yeah, I guess, you know, like some people like is. blondes. Yeah. You know, I, I've never been into blondes. I've never had a blonde girlfriend. And yeah. it's not like I think That's they're bad. That's what I always thought. Like when people are like, well, I'm straight. Well, I'm gay. Yeah. It's like, well, wait a sec. Like nobody goes around saying, well, I'm a blonde sexual. I only sleep with blondes. And yeah. I'm going to have a whole parade about being a blonde sexual. Or I'm a brunette sexual. I only like blonde or brunette shit. Yeah, it just seems crazy. Yeah. But, but you know, I'll tell you the, the most significant moment I had about that, the real aha moment I had about, about sexual intolerance was... I had a partner uh, in a in a post production facility that that I was uh, um, uh, one of the principals at years ago, and uh, he was a very well known editor, and I loved him. He was a really cool guy. He was an enormous homophobe, just crazy. But he was a really great guy. But he was just a huge homophobe. And I remember a guy came in with a project, and you know we rented out editing rooms and, and editors and stuff. And and this friend of mine was a, you know a very very accomplished editor with huge credits. So he came to me. and He said. Geez, this project's coming in the door, but I don't know if I can do it because this guy's like this. He's a fag, you know. He's 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 a queer. And I said, Yeah, I don't get it. What's your point? And and he said, Well, you know, he's going to be standing behind me the whole time. And I, I said, Okay, first of all, you're probably not as tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I said, First of all, do you honestly think that this guy is going to be like so drawn to you? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But but I said, Tell me something. Do you cheat on your wife? And he said, God, no, of course not. I said, what would it take for you to cheat on your wife? And he said, all the, all the rice in China wouldn't get me to. 
I said, well then, where's the problem? Is this guy smaller than you? Do you think he's going to overpower you and like homo-rape you by force? <laughs> that ain't going to happen. So unless you're worried about your own sexuality, where's there a problem? And he looked at me and said, you're actually right. Like, what difference does it make? I'm never going to sleep with this guy because I don't go that way. I love my wife, so how is there a problem here? And right. it was a real epiphany for him, but it was also an epiphany for me when I realized that, like, how stupid it is to be homophobic or any of those things to assume that, first of all, you're going to be dramatically, you know, enticing to somebody, which you're probably not, right. but, but also, you know, there's a million people in this world that I'm never going to sleep with. No, wait, there's seven billion people in this world that I'm never going to sleep with. Right, so what they do, unless it's you know hurting people, it has no impact on me at all. Right. It has no impact. Am I afraid that like because there are gays in this world that it's going to make everybody go gay? Like clearly that's not happened. No, we're overpopulated. It yeah. would actually be good for the world if more people were not having tons and tons and tons of babies. Oh, listen, you and I <laughs> both know from painful personal experience that there are many people out there who shouldn't have children. There are a lot of people who shouldn't have children. It would be awesome if they were gay, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Some of the, the, the pain and horror that people load up on their kids is just... Mm. Intense. Yeah, I think I honestly think we should have to go take a lot of courses to have kids. Yeah, it's, it's, it must be a full-time responsibility. I, I really give kudos to any parent out there, you know? I like there's a song that goes, I believe your parents did the best job they knew how to do. You know, it's, it's interesting, the generational thing, yeah. like going from... Yeah. You know, like the new kids coming in are like cable ready. Like they're just on iPads. They know how to work all the technology. There's like, yeah. you know, the, the generational differences and learning to um, be in harmony with all the different generations and all yeah. the different genders and sexualities and belief systems out there. You yeah. know, that, that's something that, that would be maybe fun to talk about a little bit is that... that um, I think when you work in, in the arts, and this is something that I'm sure you, you, you've experienced, you tend to remain pretty young at heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm 60. That's what I see in you. How old are you? I'm 66 years old. Holy and shit. And yet most of my friends are in their 20s. Yeah. Right? And, and we seem to have more in common than guys who are my age. But not that I don't have friends my age. I do. You mm -hmm. know, I have a number of them. But, but what I find is, is that by maintaining strong connections with people of all ages, mm -hmm. that it keeps you really young, but it mm -hmm. also keeps you super tolerant. You mm -hmm. know, because you get to see some of the trials and tribulations that these kids are going through. Right. And you think, well, gee, I was there. Just It seemed like yesterday. I was right in your, your boots, and here's the way I did it, and I really fucked that one up. Or right. I did really good, you know? So, you know, I'll tell you that, that when we have parties, and we entertain a lot, our parties have... Like kids who are like four months old and grandmas who are 90. And we have a dear friend, one of our best friends, is 95 years old. She wow. drives here from Caresdale. Wow. Oh, she's crazy. She's just the most amazing woman. I mean, yeah. she hung out with Montgomery, the Supreme Allied Commander in the Second World War. Wow. No, she's just nuts. She's What's so her cool. Uh, Estica. Estica. She, she's so cool. Wow. She's beautiful. And, and, yeah, and of course, our daughter now has got a, a three month old baby and mm -hmm. everything in between. And I find that people who have parties where it's, oh, only teens, mm -hmm. those parties, first of all, are boring. When I was a kid, I didn't like those parties, mm -hmm. right? And I mean, unless your parents are so restrictive that they won't let you do stuff. We never ever made any rules for our kids. We still don't. And if they wanted to take, you know, some girl or some guy upstairs, we always trusted that they would have good judgment. Mm 
and they've always had good judgment. You know, mm. um, if they wanted to drink, we always or smoke dope. I mean, we always trusted that they would have good judgment, and we discussed it with them all the time. Kitchen table, we always talk about that stuff, and you know what some of the pitfalls are, and some of the troubles I've gotten into, and some of the things I wish I'd done differently, but not preachy, right? Mm. But that thing about multi-age, I think it's so important to, to you know, to have elders as part of your circle, and that's yeah, what we elders. see. That's what we see in First not Nations. Elders, elders. Exactly. Like a lot of the work that I do has, you know, is involved with First Nations, and yeah. I've become, I was adopted into the Haida Nation. I remember that, yeah. And and, and I, what I find that's one of the significant differences with First Nations. Value, value systems is that they respect their elders yeah. and elders, and some of the elders, I mean, by our standards, by our Western European standards, you see these people who are fat and wrinkled up and they look like, you know, by our beauty standards, awful, right? And yet there, these people are completely respected. And if you shut up and just listen, They'll tell you stuff that's really important. Not mystical stuff like Hollywood, like about my son, you know, the, the stars will align. None of that crap. Just, you know, hey, you know, treat your girlfriend better. Right. Or go to school, don't quit. Yeah. yeah. Or hey, you're good at basketball, keep playing. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like they've lived a long time, right? And, and excuse me, that, that, the, when you go to a party on Haida Gwaii, there's babies crawling around on the floor completely unattended, and there's 99 year old women and men kind of keeping an eye on the babies, right? Cool. And everything in between. And it's wonderful. It's so great. And I've been to parties where it's all one age, and it's just like boring as hell. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have so much to learn from each other. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, now the older I get, the more I respect people who are older than me. Not because they're smarter than me. Maybe they're not. Often, usually they are. But, but, but often, it's just because they've been around longer. Mm-hmm. They've got more life experience. Yeah. I found that with my best students. You know, the, the, the ones who were the, the, the worst, the ones who learned the least, I guess would be a better way of putting it, they'd look at me and go, huh, you've been working in the movies you know, all this time and you still haven't you know, made Sin City or, or Inglorious Bastards. You're a loser. That would be their point of view. And the ones that actually really got it would go, hey, I want to work in the movies. I'd do anything to work in the movies. You've worked in the movies your whole life. Possibly you may have something to teach us, right? Yeah. And then, and then they'd learn. And uh, I mean, it's not like I'm pontificating from on high. There's some fairly straightforward things. And I'm sure you could teach people who want to get into recording music. There's some really clear pitfalls to steer clear of that you could teach them. Totally. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if somebody came along with respect... I don't mean adoration or adulation. I just mean respect and say, hey, Will, you know, you've got signed for the major label. You've got some amazing songs out there. You've traveled around the world. You've got a huge fan base. I really would love to, to, to do what you do. Could you maybe give me some, some tips? Here's the, kind of info, here's the kind of content I'm doing. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. You'd give them, I mean, Jesus, you I'd could put... I'd be honored to, yeah. Yeah, like, we do that all the time. When people call me, I always go out with them and say, sure, I'll have coffee with them. If I'm not working, I'll say sure. And nice. I'll give them the best advice that I can. Because that's what we're for. Like, you're mm. going to be an elder someday. Mm. I'm, I'm an elder now. I mean, I'm a young elder, but still, I'm an elder. Mm. And it's great. That's the way it's supposed to work. Who else are you going to get information from? Google? Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia? Yeah. No. We're supposed to have mentors and mentees. Yeah, exactly. Carry, carry each other along on this magical journey that we're on. Yeah, and exactly. And, and our mentors can can give us the wealth of their experience so that we have the maximum amount of joy in this journey right. and, and the least amount of pain exactly. or the least amount of causing other people pain because they can look yeah. at us and go, kid, let me tell you, the track you're on, uh-uh. Right. That's going to bring you and the people around you to grief. 
I mean, I wish I'd listened because I cause people grief. Yeah. I've made mistakes. I'm sure you have too, but oh, I've yeah. made mistakes. Yeah. And if I'd listened, I wouldn't have, you know. Right. It's about learning and, and being open to receive. Yeah. Yeah. And just realize that the world doesn't revolve around you. It's Right. It, this place is so wonderful. And the people around you have got these hidden skills that are just magical. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't diminish you to acknowledge that other people are pretty amazing. Not at all. Oh, it feels so good. Like, yeah. With this last album, like it's basically a bunch of duets and what I've realized about music specifically is like that it feels much better to do it in a group, oh, almost yeah. like a jam sesh. Yeah. Well, this one that we had the other night, my it God. Was so fun. You know what I thought was the most actually kind of, I don't want to say the most, but I'll say one of the most interesting intellectual moments in this jam session that we just had was when you played Wild Horses, the, the mm -hmm. title track from your new album. I mean, anybody who listens to that if they have any musical sense at all, we'll say, this is a far better version than the Rolling Stones. It ain't a cover. It's like, if we could go back in time, yours would be the first one because it's way better than the Stones. It just is. From every point of view, musically, intellectually, I mean, you don't say we'll ride them someday, right? No, I didn't, I didn't actually have that line in there, no. Yeah, which is stupid. It makes no sense at all. And, and Mick <laughs> says that. Like, what, what are you talking about? But, but the thing that I thought was so cool was that you made a conscious choice in that song to not go the same direction as the Stones did with, you know, wild horses couldn't drag me away. You don't right. go there. You, you, you do a different chord structure. Yeah. But you do that on purpose, and it surprises everybody who listens to it. They go, oh, wait a minute, this is really different. Oh, that's kind of interesting. But what was cool about the jam session that we had was that you sang that. The rest of us went to the Stones, and we brought it together. And it actually worked. It worked. It was so cool. Yeah, because... In my head, I went, oh, shit, they're going to think I'm singing the original version. Yeah. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then the first chorus is a little yeah, discordant. Right. Yeah. And then the second time through, they're such professionals. Oh, that was so like, good. whoa, how do they just do that? Those harmonies it, were crazy. Yeah, it wasn't the Rolling Stones. It wasn't my version. It was this it was synergy between. of something new. And I was like, whoa, we need to record this. Yeah, this no, that was awesome. spectacular. That was, you know what? If yeah. you sang the song in concert, yeah. that's what you wish would happen. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You can tell they're they're really good harm like really oh good vocalists. Well, Rebecca Jenkins is, is just she's a miracle. Yeah, you can check her out on Spotify. Rebecca Jenkins, yeah. she's a Canadian actress. She's been in a lot of mainstream productions. Yeah, but little do, did I know that she's an amazing vocalist as well and a songwriter. Well, she was the lead actress in what some people argue was one of the top ten great Canadian movies, which is called Bye Bye Blues, directed by Ann Wheeler, right. and it's a story of a. Uh, of a young woman on the prairies in the Second World War whose husband is a doctor, goes away to fight, disappears, mm. and he's missing in action, gone. And she's got two or three kids to raise and uh, to make money because they're destitute. Mm -hmm. She learns how to play the piano, and she mm. starts singing with a group. Mm. And they start touring around, and they get really good. Mm. And Bye Bye Blues is one of the songs that they do. But it's, it's, it's a great music movie because, like all great movie, mm. music movies, they get good. They start out being terrible, but it's like the commitments. Like they start out being awful, right? But then they just get so good. And you just, as a musician, your heart just opens and thrills because she's amazing. Nice. And when I saw that movie, I just, I mean, as an actress, I completely fell in love with her. I thought that she was so good. And so I cast her in a long form that I did for Disney as quick as I could. And we just hit it off like crazy. Cool. We, and we sang on that show. You know, I always carry my guitar when I go out. Oh, nice. And uh, that's yeah. another key is that I... I've sung with our kids and our family 
all the time. Our kids all sing, and it's our friends all sing. I mean, it's been wonderful. So Rebecca that's and I beautiful. sing. I always think <coughs> that um, singing is something that's sort of in our DNA as humans. And, you know, if you look at pre-literate societies and First Nations cultures, singing is a huge part of ceremonies and family. And in our society, I think a lot of people think, oh, like, my voice isn't good enough. I'm just going to watch American Idol and watch them do it and live vicarious through the TV. Mm-hmm. But I really believe that each and every one of us can sing. And it doesn't matter if you're tone deaf, you can sing. And it's about the feeling. Like, in, in yoga, they say it's not singing, it's chanting. It's about using your yeah. body to generate a yeah. sound, singing from your, your all your chakras. And... Uh, I think that's really cool that you instilled that in your family and your kids, the, the joy of um, togetherness through song. I don't think, like, I don't know, So I'm, and I'm not an expert on this, but mm-hmm. I don't, my experience has indicated that there's no such thing as being tone deaf, mm-hmm. or rather, tone deaf is a temporary learned condition, mm-hmm. tone deafness, because I've worked with people, our kids, for example, who started out not literally not being able to carry a tune in a bucket. Mm-hmm. And when you actually focus on them and you go, let's sing this song together, over time, they get to the point that they actually can carry a tune. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone can learn to sing. And I'll tell you something that, that I was told one time, and it is really the single most beautiful thing I've ever heard about this subject. And it's words that I think many of us, you especially, live by, and that is, God respects me when I work, but he loves me when I sing. Wow. That's good. That's just it, yeah, that's really right? Good. Don't you feel me. that? Yeah. I mean, don't you feel it? When I sit down with my guitar, and, and Tina is just so wonderful, she listens and, you know, it's working away painting or whatever, mm-hmm. and, and I'll sing... Four and twenty years ago, I come into this land, child of a woman and a man who lived in strife. They were tired of being poor. Right? And, and Tina just like, every time I stop, she goes, don't stop. The kids, the same way. And they'll just filter in. Everybody filters in and they sit down and then we sing. And That's everybody beautiful. knows all these songs, right? That's beautiful. And we don't perform. You know, I'm past that. I don't, I don't perform anymore. I perform behind the camera. But um, I just, I love that. And that evening we had singing here. It was so gorgeous. Oh, uh, when you started singing, it reminded me of my dad used to sing a bedtime story, a song to yeah, us. Yeah, right. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Someone's in the kitchen, I know. Oh, oh, oh. Someone's in the kitchen with Dinah. Strumming on the old banjo. Sing. Fee-fi, fiddly-i-o, fee-fi, fiddly-i-o, fee-fi, strumming on the old banjo. That's a great song. You know that? Oh, of course I know Classic. that. What are you kidding? Yeah, he sings that every night. I'd be like, Dad, don't stop. Sing yeah, it. yeah, totally. And I liked how his voice broke. He's like, fee-fi, fiddly-i-o. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. always like that. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, some of my favorite singers have got totally shitty voices. Like Bobby Dylan. He can't sing to save his life. Now, what, does, what are his hits? Bob Dylan? Oh, Bob Dylan, of course. Yeah, yeah and you have him right over yeah. there. Yeah, you're going to have to serve somebody. Yeah. You might be the devil and he might be the Lord, yeah, but you're going to have to serve. Yes. No. Yeah, he can't sing, right? <laughs> no. And for a long time, people thought Leonard Cohen couldn't sing. Yeah, his voice is really deep. It's yeah. great. Well, he's a great poet. Yeah, he's an amazing poet. He can sing in his own way. Yeah. But Leo Kotke, Leo Kotke says, he's one of my favorite singers, and he says that his, geese, his, his voice sounds like geese farts on a muggy day. <laughs> <laughs> that long, Larry Cohen says? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, his, his version of his Hallelujah that he wrote, yeah, yeah. if you listen to the original, it, 
I don't want to say it's like geese farts, but it's definitely different than like oh, Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah. Totally. Well, l look at um, uh, Jan. Um, uh, geese farts on a what day? On a muggy day. <laughs> um, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. What's Young's first name? Neil Young. Neil Young. Young Court called a brain fart. Yeah. Um, Neil Young, I mean, his voice is actually kind of terrible. Yeah. She used to work in a diner. Yeah, I've never seen a woman yeah. look finer. I mean, it's all over the place, but yeah. it's beautiful, right? Yeah, there's something about it. Joe Cocker, he's got a terrible voice. Huh. What would you think if I sang a tune? Right? But it's just beautiful. You just love it because it breaks yeah. and it's all over the place. Yeah, it's natural. Yeah. He owns it. I noticed that when I was in New York going to these Broadway shows, it was very, like a lot of the people that they hired for the main roles, yeah. like I saw Cabaret, their voices were not yeah. very good, yeah. but they were such amazing actors that it worked. Yeah. I, I think that that's great. I love listening to people who really have to work for it. Mm -hmm. Like the heart. The heart yeah. is more important than the tone. Yeah, like Jennifer Warren's is, is a good example. Like she sounds, oh, that's to me one of the keys. She's famous blue raincoat, you know, she covered Leonard's songs. Yeah. She did uh, um, Gonna Lift Us Up, Love Lift Us Up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. she's beautiful. But she always sounds like she's like the woman next door. Like it's just such an accessible voice because yeah. it's not perfect, it breaks. Right, it's, and it's not the strongest voice no. in the world. No. Well, look at Rebecca. Her voice is not the strongest, Rebecca mm -hmm. Jenkins. Right. And yet... But there's something about it, there's a magic to it. Yeah. It just sort of, it, it, it moves through, it just, mm -hmm. it oozes in there and you just go, oh my God. It's memorable. Yeah. I find, I mean, uh, we haven't spoken of this and it's worth, it's worth saying that mm -hmm. when, you sit, when you sit down and, and, and sing with your friends, um, I mean, I, I was a professional singer for many years and I sit down and sing with people who are good and if we get, if we get maybe four moments that are just absolute perfection, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, you don't get that many. Yeah. You, you go to a concert and, you know, somebody, whoever it is, will sing and they're, they're great, they're wonderful. But I mean, I'm talking about moments where you're touching the hem of the garment. Right. Where we're just in such perfect sync and we just vibrate together and you just go, there's nowhere on earth I'd rather be right now. This is perfection. I could die and go to heaven. I'm in heaven. I could die in this moment and I'm fine. Yeah. Because there's something about that. Like I sang with my brother for years, right? And uh, did you guys do recordings and stuff too? Yeah. 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 Cool. We have yeah stuff. Okay, check that out. Yeah. But but um, there's a kind of a closeness that you get with people. You know, when you harmonize with someone. I mean, I've often joked that it's like kind of like sex. But it's kind of like sex. Uh -huh. It really is. Yeah. Because you're just inside of them and they're inside of you. Yeah. Um, somebody told me once that sound is touch from afar. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's intimate. Oh, it's super intimate because you're vibrating and then I try and match your vibration uh -huh. and you try and match my vibration and it's you seeing me seeing you seeing me seeing you. I mean, it's just, it's like that, which is kind of... Sex is like that yeah, if, you, like, if you're doing it right. If you're doing it, that's so tr that's so true. And and the best sex is like heart heart based. If mm -hmm. all your chakras are vibrating, and yeah, you can achieve that through music. And, and you're channel. feeling what they're feeling, and they're feeling what you're feeling, and it just goes. And it's just feedback loops yeah. and loops and loops and loops and loops. And then, yeah. oh my god. <laughs> are we saying how much we like music? Or how much <laughs> we, we like sex? sex? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I I really envy you, Will. Uh, I mean, not in a bad way. AMV is a dark, dark emotion, but just that you're devoting your life to music 
every life, I think, has got roads not taken. And uh, I mean, I was born in the music industry, and I just loved it so much. And I, I sort of went sideways into movies, and it's been great. I don't have regrets about that, but it's just I'm so happy when I get to play music. You know, and you get to do that every day. Mm. So you, you're blessed, man. You're blessed. Thank you. I, f I feel really grateful that I get to do it. You should. Because when I was little, I remember telling my parents I wanted to be a singer. Yeah. But they're they're kind of like, well, how are you going to make that happen and make it feasible? Yeah. And so I'm grateful that I get to teach the yoga and sing. Yeah. Because I used to sing in smoky bars when I was in my teens. Yeah. And that never felt like the right fit. I actually would sing things like One Ten Soldier and like mm. Richards on Richards or no Gary kidding. Taylor's Gino. I don't know if you remember that place. And like it, everybody was smoking cigarettes and high and drunk. Mm. There, you know, and they were nice for the mm. most part. Mm -hmm. But it just, I feel really grateful that I found this sort of like little niche. Yeah. Um, and that it's also expanding in places like Japan, where like That's they're great. they're willing to play one of my yoga songs on mainstream pop radio. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I, I do feel grateful, and, and thanks for pointing that out. That you know, it is, it is something to be grateful for because not everybody gets the opportunity to do it. Yeah. I know a number of, of singers who are, I mean, I know some people who are international superstars, mm -hmm. but I also know people. You know Sarah McLaughlin, right? I do, yeah. You said you jammed you jam with her. Yeah, she's time. just a miracle. She's so beautiful. Is that at her, because she's got a home recording studio, eh? Yes, yeah, she does, yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, Sarah's great. I've known her for a long time. Um, but others as well. I mean, I know the lead guitarist for Ray Charles. Yeah, cool. Yeah, just amazing. And, and listening to them is, is just a complete miracle. But I find that they're exactly the same as us in that they don't do it. I mean, yeah, it's great to have the money and the adulation and all that stuff. But but I know singing with, with Jeff or Sarah or, or any of those people that the moment where you vibrate together is the moment. And that's that's the, the dragon that everybody chases. It really right. is. Where just everything aligns. And you watch. Like you watch Sarah on stage. Uh -huh. And you see that a... a you know, she sings and she's beautiful from beginning to end. But there's a moment in the song where you know that she knows that, that every single atom, molecule of her being is aligned and perfect. Yeah. And it doesn't last very long, but it doesn't have to. Right? Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. but I, I honestly, I don't think that it's just music that that's with. I mean, architects, when they get to design a building that works, I mean, it gives you this feeling that never goes away, you know? Right. Uh, carpenters, I mean, I know, for example, every time I sit down at this table, I feel great because I built it, right? Yeah. You know, I think what doesn't make you feel good is doing stuff that you do for money, just only for money. And I know I have a number of friends who do that, who work at jobs where they get paid a lot and they just think their job is stupid. And they go, oh, God, I'm going to go to work, right? Those people don't feel good. And they buy stuff with the money, but the stuff doesn't really, doesn't really it doesn't do it. doesn't satiate their... No. Do, do what you do, do well. Do, do, do the... the like you, I think you've got to do your passion because mm -hmm. the alternative is, is you're just bored. And, right? What advice would you give to somebody who's maybe stuck in a job they don't really like to get from going from a place of feeling like they're working for the man to being the creative being they were born to be? Just do a little every day? Well, I've known a number of people in that situation who have gotten out of it, and I know a number of people who haven't gotten out of it. And the people who haven't gotten out of it have, have, have refrained because they're afraid. Mm. You know, because they're saying, I'm going to starve, I'm not going to be able to support my family, da-da-da. The people who have gotten out of it have said, I'm going to jump, and I'm going to make it work. Right? And then they have, and, and for the most part, they have. You know, uh, my, my son-in-law, for example, Jamie, whom I, I'm extremely proud of, 
you know, his dad was a very, very successful corporate lawyer, and Jamie was drawn into that, and he was admitted to the bar, and mm-hmm. and uh, he just ultimately realized that he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he went and studied being a sportscaster of all crazy things, you know, mm-hmm. being a radio journalist, and cool. he's, he's, he's doing great, and he's super happy at it. Now, if he stayed being a lawyer, he'd make way more money, unless he becomes Don Cherry or some crazy thing like that, yeah. right? Or Howard Cosell. But, but um, he's doing something that he loves. And he actually managed to do it. And i got to admit, even though I really cheered him on when he made that choice, I was a little bit skeptical because, you know, it's a very competitive field. Yeah. But he fought for it and he made it. So, I mean, if you don't make the jump, it's never going to happen. And it might not happen. Mm-hmm. But life is like that. Yeah. You know, I was talking to somebody uh, earlier today um, who's made a very similar decision, who's got accreditation as a teacher, very safe job, pension, all that. But she's not feeling that that's what she wants to do. So she actually wants to study radio journalism as well. And we were talking about that, about how it's so easy to look at other people and think, well, that guy's got it made. How do I get there? And you don't realize that nobody ever has it made. Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't have it made. Jack Nicholson doesn't have it made. Meryl Streep doesn't have it made. Nobody has it made. Every one of those people that I mentioned, including you and me, wake up every morning going, Jesus, what am I going to do today? How's this going to work? Am I ever going to work again? What if I go broke? What if I really screw up with my next piece of work? You know, what, should I go and play my guitar in front of the liquor store? Like, we all feel so uncertain. Everybody, you never have it made. In fact, that is what human existence is, is always struggling. Life is a struggle. That, it's not a bad thing. Life is supposed to be a struggle. It's the searching. It's not what you find, right? So that's what I really, really understand now is, is that I'm supposed to feel challenged by existence. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be even a little bit afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes a lot afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of letting my family down. I am. I, I, I'm concerned about that. I mean, I, I, every time I finish a movie, I think I'm never going to work again. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Right? I'm sure you feel the same oh, way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And everybody listening to this feels exactly the same way. That, unless they're kidding themselves that they've got it made. You don't got it made. If you're a lawyer working at a big firm, you could get fired tomorrow. You could do a case that you screw up so bad that you will never work again. Then what are you going to do? Kill yourself? No. You're going to figure out something else to do because you don't have it made. Life is a challenge. It's supposed to be. Mm. Right? And, and mm. the sooner you realize that, the sooner you, you can feel okay about mm. feeling stressed. Like, yeah, mm. I'm broke. <laughs> what do I do now? Well, I guess I do the kind of thing that people do when they want money. I'm going to create some value for somebody. Right? Uh-huh. But, but I mean, beautiful. nobody ever has it made. There's no such thing. Made in the shade? Yes, you have it made for 10 minutes. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So it's about learning how to find joy in the, in the struggle and the journey. Yeah. yeah. And we're all of us, all of us struggling all the time. You're struggling, I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, people say to me, oh man, you've made so many movies, you know, that it must be so easy for you. And I go, are you high? Come sit in one of my, my pitch sessions and see how easy it is. It's not at all, right? I struggle for every inch I get. But, but I'm, not, I'm not complaining. Right. It's a I, I certain love it. acceptance of yeah. the struggle that makes it, you still feel the, the pain, but would you say there's less suffering? In the realization that life is suffering? Yeah, just, just in the sense the that I, I've been here before, so I yeah. know that uh, it's going to be okay. The thing I think it's really important to appreciate is nobody's going to starve to death. At least nobody listening to this is going to starve to death. Mm. You know, you're not going to miss a meal. You go homeless, go downtown east side, they feed you three times a day. Mm. So what is it that you're worried about? 
If you know that, if you know that you're not going to starve to death, then what's stopping you from doing what you want? Mm. What what you what you're good at, what your heart is in, where your where your passion lies? Because you're not going to. The people I work with in the downtown east side, they get free clothes every day. They have better wardrobe than I do, right? And they eat. They eat more than I do. I mean, there's all those resources are completely available. So what are you worried about? Yeah. They get free houses, right? Right. right? I'm not, I'm not saying that their lives are, are great because they're, they're, they're mm. in many ways horrific. But I just mean if it's the material stuff that you're worried about, stop worrying because mm. you're going you're gonna to have all that stuff. It's not about right. that. So what do you want to do? What do you want to do? I mean, the day stretches out in front of us. What do you want to do? Yeah. Who do, do you want to be? Do you have any techniques that you could recommend listeners for when you're feeling kind of low or sluggish and then you've got stuff to do? And somebody once told me, like, you know, a great big sexy dream requires certain you know unsexy steps to get to it what would you say when you have a bunch of unsexy steps there's two tricks that i have that the two tools that i use and these are really good tools they serve me really well and that is is that when i have a goal and i don't know how to get to it i do stuff that i know how to do for example if i want to if i want to do a movie about oh x uh, let's just say i want to do a movie about oh the sightsee dam for example which i'm very much opposed to I don't really know how to proceed with, you know, kind of getting the money to do it or something. So what can I do that will get me part of the way there? I don't know. But I know I'm going to want to interview this guy who lives down the street from me who's like a genius about that kind of stuff. I'm going to go interview him. Mm. That gets me down the road. So I'll do all this, the things I can do that will get me towards the goal. Right. right? We always focus on the stuff we can't do. Right. Focus on the stuff you can do. Right. That, that's something that's really, really important for me. And, and when I come up against something that I'm really scared of, because I, I, well, I mean, I, I get fearful about, about things, you know, fairly often. What I'll always think now is I'll close my eyes and think, tomorrow morning's going to come and this will be in the past. I have a fast forward button in my head and I push my, my thumb onto it and it goes, and it's done. And I go... You know what? I can't stop the march of time. So you're either going to do a good job of this thing in front of you that you're scared of, or you're going to screw it up completely. I would recommend that you try and do a good job. Yeah. But either way, it's going to be behind you. Right. In the blink of an it's eye, it's gone. Pass. Yeah. So like, what are you worried about? Yeah. Really, what are you worried about? You have no control over it coming and going. It's coming. Yeah. So do good or do shitty, whatever. Right. But just it's what's what are you worried about? Mm-hmm. Mark Twain once said, I know that worrying really works because all the stuff I worried about in my life never happened. Huh. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> that's great. I think that's totally awesome, right? None of that stuff happened. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so those, those are two really, really good tools. The one about filling in the blanks, I think that, 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 that that's really, really a useful tool because if you think about any project, like for you, you want to record a song and... and you, you're blocked. Well, there's certain things that you can do. If you know that you're going to want to have a banjo in that song, you can call a banjo player and get him to come in and lay down a track. Yeah. You know, like that's not really directly pointing at your goal, but it's something you got to do. Do something. Yeah, just do anything. Just. I love that. Yeah, it works. It works for me really, really great. a lot great. of people say, oh, well, I don't have the funding yet. Or Make a list. My genre, you know, isn't yeah. accepted by them. Like, people can come up with, and myself included, can yeah. come up with so many excuses. But I love that. Just, like, do what you can. Yeah. And I've also heard, like, I've always, and it didn't always resonate, do the hard things first. Well, if the hard thing is getting enough funding, well, don't. No, do, do the, the easy, easy stuff. I, I do the easy stuff do first. Do the easy stuff first. So it seems to be working, so. Because then, 
if somebody asks you, what are you doing? You know, you can say, I'm working on this. And you are. You're totally working on it. And then, mm-hmm. then it will come. I mean, some stuff doesn't happen. I've, I've pitched and, and developed probably 100 movies that never went. You know, and each one of them I believed in. But, you know, that's... Um, that's a business, right? That's what happens. I mean, you've had ideas for songs yeah, that just didn't work through. out, right? Yeah. Or sometimes I'll have an idea and then later on when I'm writing, I'll think, oh, well, yeah, I can yeah. reference that or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah, use yeah, pieces yeah. of projects that didn't work out. Totally, yeah. That worked better for this one or something, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for your time and, and for oh. this interview. That's This is fun. It's fun talking to you. You're easy to talk to. You as well. Thank you so much for for being you and for inspiring us and being an elder. I hate to see, because you, you don't come across as old to me. You're an elder, but like you're, you're so youthful. Like you're, you're, um, when I look at you, like I see like almost like somebody in their twenties. I pretty much feel like that. Yeah. Which is, it must be those cold plunges. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just life Everything, is right? just so much fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back to when, when I was a kid and how much I dreamed that things were going to get great when I'd be, you know, you've always got this magical age. Right. You know, I'm 14. Oh, geez, if only I was old enough to. And I, I thought, that. you know, I thought sort of like around 19 would be just awesome because you can drive, you can drink, you can go out with girls, you, know, you can do all this all stuff, things, I can yeah. travel, all this stuff. And you know what? I was right. So I kind of decided to stay there. Yeah. <laughs> and I never awesome. left. Yeah. Because that's just a number. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically 19. Fantastic. Right. I have a good looking girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love Tina. She's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Inside and out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much and uh, signing out on the Urban Yogi podcast. You decided that that's what you're going to call it? Yeah, it was either that or the bisexual egomaniac. I like that one. Do you like that one? I do. I'd listen to that. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Mr. Charles Wilkinson. Please head over to iTunes and rate and subscribe to the Buy Urban Yogi podcast. And stay tuned for another episode coming very soon. Satnam. Namaste.